Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Random Channel Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm furious. But are you fast? I am also fast. Okay, so you're so- you're an angry Sonic. Also by the name of Angel. No, I'm an angry Vin Diesel. Ah, you're Dom. That's his character's name. Oh. Have you betrayed your family? Am I, I your know. family and I'm being betrayed because you're not saying your name at the start of our podcast? I've only seen, <laughs> I've only seen part one and um, Tokyo Drift. Oh, you're missing out on the good ones. Four, five, six, seven are the good ones. I still have C8. Anyway, this is not the Random Fast and Furious <laughs> podcast. This is the Random Nintendo podcast. And uh, this episode is episode 150. We're calling it Fast and Furious. I'm Jason. He's Angel. And we're calling it that because uh, we're talking about Mario Kart 8, which has left you, Angel, furious, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah, you could say that. So you'll explain why later in the show, I guess, where I'll also be sharing impressions of Poyo Poyo Tetris. But before all that... We do have news to discuss, uh, news that can be summed up with really just two acronyms, DLC and E3. So we're going to weigh in on the Zelda and Fire Emblem DLC that was recently revealed and what we feel is kind of like the right approach to DLC because I don't think any either of them really nailed it. And uh, we're also going to be discussing Nintendo's official E3 plans, our predictions for E3, and those conveniently include interesting rumors about both Nintendo's first-party Switch lineup and some fresh third-party news. So we'll have all that too. It's more than just boring old trade show talk. There's hot, juicy rumors in there as well. Uh, if there's anything specific you want to hear, like uh, Angel's in-depth theories about the two out of eight Fast and Furious movies he's seen, there are timestamps available at RamTunnel.com for everything except what I just said, because that's not in this episode, and I lied. Uh, so with that said, I guess let's go right into the first acronym of our two buckets of news, which is DLC. Um, Nintendo apparently decided first week of May is DLC Awareness Week or something, because just back-to-back Monday and Tuesday they put out press releases for... Breath of the Wild's first DLC, and all of Fire Emblem Echoes, Shadows of uh, Valencia DLC. So, unsurprisingly, I think it's safe to assume that Zelda was the one that generated the most buds, because A, Breath of the Wild's a hugely popular game, and B, it's the first mainline Zelda title to ever receive DLC. Every Zelda up to this point has been a self-contained adventure, and this is the first time they're sort of piling in. I'll say um, Hyrule Warriors, but... But that's not mainline. See, I, I got you with the little stipula- stip- yeah. stipulation. Uh, and anyway, if you're wondering what mainline Zelda DLC may look like, I think you can call it a mix of every type of game update Nintendo's ever done up to this point. You've got actual expanded gameplay thanks to the tri- uh, Trial of the Sword in hard mode. You've got enhancements to existing gameplay with things like the Korok Mask and new equipment. You've got new game functionality in the form of the Hero's Path and the Travel Medallion. So I figure we might as well walk through those and give thoughts on each because some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't make sense, some of it should be free, some of it makes sense as paid. So on the gameplay side of things, I think what they're including is what you would want to see for a Zelda DLC situation. You got Trial of the Sword, uh, which was previously called the Cave of Trials, and it's sort sort of like a horde mode. It's like a special location in the game you go to, Link is stripped of all his items and armor and equipment and you work your way through 45 rooms i can talk you work your way through 45 rooms and in each room when you beat the enemies in there you get a new item to equip link and if you make it all the way through to the end you get the ability to always have a powered up master sword in the main game spoilers so that's that's so that's officially what it means that's what it is yeah they put in a press release oh okay so that that's the trial of the sword then you got hard mode which is basically a re Everything in the main adventure changes. Like, if you see lower-level enemies, they're now more powerful enemies. If you see powerful enemies, they're now powerful enemies you may not have even seen before. They just upgrade everyone. And these enemies can see you better from farther away. They can respawn health slowly. Uh, Most interestingly of all, they can also be in the sky now. The thing about Zelda Breath of the Wild is that 
it was very vertical. Like the game's all about moving up and down, climbing things, flying around things. But the enemies were always down on the ground or a like a dragon in the sky. But now, or a bird or whatever. But now, the ground enemies are on floating planks held up by balloons that also have treasure on them. And as you paraglide around, you have to either shoot them or avoid them or whatever. So it's just like this extra layer, which is actually like that is almost cooler to me than the um, you know just upping the difficulty of killing someone or making them making it easier for them to see or whatever. Like that's actually changing up the gameplay you have to adapt to different strategies it's not just you have to be better at what you do it's you need to do new things which is kind of kind of cool i think yeah i um, agree yeah and uh so that that's the gameplay stuff then there's equipment stuff which is like a whole nother layer so this is in hard mode and regular mode whatever it is you have the ability to um find items around the world that are being added in. it kind of takes a cue from hyrule warriors and that's all old classic zelda stuff so you can find Majora's Mask. You can find an outfit that turns you into the Phantom from Phantom Hourglass. You got Midna in there. And best of all, hands down, you can turn Link into Tingle. And he looks so ashamed to be Tingle. Like his expression in the concept art is one of disgrace and embarrassment and other words that are not positive. And he just looks, it's so great. It's going to like, just imagine, I will almost buy the DLC just for that. Like just imagine playing an entire game, every serious cutscene, and Link walks up in his spandex of green and red, complete with that weirdly anam- uh, weirdly atonically correct crotch area. That's all I'm gonna say about that. But like he, they really rendered everything. But uh, yeah, imagine the most serious scene where it's all just crying or whatever, and there's Link in his tingle outfit, just like, yep, here, this is what I look well, like now. Unfortunately, you would never sit in the tingle outfit, hmm? but you can't see that in the tingle outfit. See what? That cutscene you mentioned? Oh, well, whatever. That. I don't know. Oh, you're reaching for something. <laughs> like, do you need something over here? I don't know why I was reaching for the headphones. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm going to put them on or anything. Yes, I'll well take podcasting to the next level. We should be wearing headphones while we do this. Huh. We should, I mean, we don't have to, but we all be real, like, radio DJs. But, um, anyway, yeah, so I guess you don't see him in that scene. But my point is, the most serious scenes you got, Lincoln Spandex, and it's great. But, uh, yeah, beyond that, though. There's also the Korok mask being added, which will let you easily find Koroks near you because it will shake on Link's face as you get closer. I'm not quite sure how significantly that will differ from the map feature that kind of works in a similar way, but we'll find out. But then that brings us to the third bucket of DLC, and this is the one that I personally think is the weirdest to include as DLC, and that is the improvements to functionality of the game. Features designed to streamline the experience, if you will. The Korok mask kind of falls under this but you could argue it's a new item so whatever but more directly you've now got this travel medallion you discover it you can place it anywhere in the map and it becomes basically a transport spot you can only have it in one place at one time but you can anywhere you want instantly transport there like you could any of the towers that to me feels more like a function to enhance the like the actual gameplay flow than to offer new gameplay which seems to kind of skirt away from what DLC should be about. Even more so is this new Hero Path mode where you pull up the map, you can essentially rewind the past 200 hours of your gaming. You can see every step you've taken, every move you've making. It's watching you. Someone Ugh. please someone please laugh somewhere in the world. I, I cringed. Yeah, or cringe, or cringe. You know what I recently learned? All my bad dad jokes and all my puns, like every episode title of this podcast, you can thank Pokemon. I realized if I was a kid, and I was, and I like Pokemon, and I did. A lot of Pokemon are just bad puns. So I think from a very young age, I was indoctrinated into this pun-loving mindset by the Pokemon company. Then 
just Game Freak and Nintendo. So if you hate our jokes, if you hate our puns, feel free to send a letter to Nintendo of America or Nintendo LCD, I mean LD, LTD, or Pokemon Company International, and they will not read it, and they'll throw it out. But at least it's out there. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the thing I was actually saying is, yeah, the Heroes Path. It um, rewinds everything in between that and where you're essentially coloring in the map to see what parts you missed, if you think about it. And the Korok Mask, you can now, in theory, very easily find all those seeds just with these gameplay enhancements. Which, again, brings me back to this idea that I don't know why they're not free updates. I get the trials. I get the um, hard mode. I get the masks, like the old-school Zelda ones. I don't know why the rest of this, which are just nips and tucks that improve how you navigate the game and kind of the quality of the experience, I don't know why those are costing money. Like, to me, they should be part of a free update because they're not, they're not actually content. They're fixing holes, so to speak, in the current flow of the game. I mean, it's... Are they? I mean, the... Kind, well, not holes, I mean the they're wa- addressing... I mean, the... Being able to rewatch your steps, I mean, yeah, it does feel insignificant enough that it should be free, but at the same time, um, I mean, they have that option to turn off the hood it's because they're like oh we really want to emphasize the fact that you shouldn't know where you've been that you have to explore around yeah no and that that makes sense so there can be options you can turn on off just like they put out an update with this dlc where they said okay all nine languages that this game has voice acting for are now accessible to any region you can switch on the fly why would they not just throw the hero mode in and make it a toggle the same way as you point out the hud is a toggle no yeah they should have like it's weird to me that they're like selling points it, of dlc it's literally it's some yeah it seems like they just want to I guess give the package some bulk since alone probably yeah. good enough. But that, that's the other that's thing. That's the thing too. Like I'm still hopeful that the story DLC will be signi- significant enough to I guess warrant the 20 bucks because that's the way I see it. It's like yeah. if you're paying 20 bucks for the story mode and everything else is just kind of there to tide you over I guess. But Yeah, no, I, I think you're right because like they, I mean they have to But watch something. it be like some 10 minute dungeon or something that's around. that's the thing is they have to kind of prove value with the story update down like the winter update but the summer one which is why i'm waiting for that to be enough before i'm even paying for any of but it see here's what's even weird about that so okay you're waiting i'm sure a lot of people are waiting i haven't bought yet either there are probably a lot of listeners that haven't bought yet because they don't know what i mean the is there no repercussions or do you still get everything you do but let's say let's put back in the fact that hero path and the tr- uh the travel medallion and all those gameplay enhancements are part of the dlc basically you're being told indirectly uh hey you can play zelda all you want but if you want a slightly better experience either wait till you know what all the dlc is in winter or just give us 20 bucks now and hope for the best that just seems weird i feel like it should just be free like just i get you're right it is to bulk it up but i don't know like the trials make sense the legacy equipment makes sense but i don't know like you've been you've been breath of the wild multiple times right mm-hmm. so Hero Path doesn't really make you want to necessarily buy the DLC, right? No, because... Because you already really, beat it. And I'm, yeah, like, I'm not much to really explore so that So if either. DLC is designed for people who want to expand their game experience beyond what's already included because they supposedly have beaten it, like you, why does making Hero Path a selling point do How does that do that? I don't see how that does that at all. That, that's the thing I don't get. Like, you have no motivation to use Hero Path. So why don't they just push it out for free with the language update and give it to people who haven't beaten it who don't know if they're buying DLC? Because it makes no difference for the DLC. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally just, just a tool for people that want to 100% it, but... Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some people already have. A or lot of maybe, have, yeah. Yeah, and maybe... or There are know, strategy guys that literally tell you where everything is. Yeah, so. so what is the purpose of this as a paid feature? I mean, 
for all we know, there's a really substantial update coming with uh, the Winter DLC that has like a huge dungeon, because they did so have an actual dungeon, and a huge story component, and it's going to be like 30 hour epic, and you're like, wow, this is a great value for $20. But looking at it now, all Nintendo's giving us is, hey, um, you can toggle this little tracker and visit a cave, and it'll cost you $20. Oh, and dress as Tingle. Can't forget Tingle. But I don't know, it's just... It, Can't forget it's, the Nintendo Switch shirt. Or... Oh, and the Switch shirt. I already did forget. <laughs> but I don't know, it just strikes me as weird. So we'll, we'll see. It could easily be made up for a mirror update. But right now, like, my impression of the Zelda DLC is there's a lot of cool stuff, but there's also a lot of, like, head-scratching. Huh, all right, I, I guess you can do that. Yeah, I, and again, I wish they just hadn't said anything at all about this DLC until... They knew what they were putting in it. Yeah, like, not even, like, give us these, like, sure, I guess, um... It's nice getting like the summer update and then a winter update and I guess the sprinkled in whatever you get when you first buy it. But, sure. <laughs> I, but I'd still rather have them just not say anything until like October or something or maybe even E3. That way yeah. by then like everyone already passed the game that is playing it or that actually had the chance of beating it. That was a dig at me. Yeah, it's literally just for Jason. Cause, Thanks, yeah. friend. <laughs> and yeah, because by then... I don't know. I would have already been asking myself, like, oh, I kind of wish there was something else to do. And I, at that point, I wouldn't even mind the little extra... I mean, they don't even mind the little extra map features and stuff like that, but... But they can just push those out for free no, right now to keep people busy no, until yeah, but, they announce the stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, you could just keep those hidden, too, until oh, sure. until they announce all that stuff. But then stuff. who would they benefit at that point? I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. Whoever, if someone still hasn't completed everything, then... Oh, like be, me, again. Okay. Then it would be even more... It would probably give them a reason to try to go back and complete stuff. I mean, I'll be honest. The hero path thing is possibly outside of Tingle, which obviously is being a little facetious about the alphabet. Outside of Tingle, which is the the best thing in the game, um, the hero path was the real what really jumped at me in the DLC as being really cool, and that's what led me to think, wait, why does this cost twenty dollars? This is like no different than a language toggle. But it doesn't though. It just it's costs like part of the twenty dollars divided by however many pieces. Yeah, but we don't even know what that is. That's the problem. Now, on the flip side of all this, like, cause you make yeah, it would be nice to Nintendo just up front was like, hey, yo, hi. Here's what we're yeah. releasing. I mean, Here's why it's twenty dollars. We'll see you in six months. When I just it comes hate out. that they released all this, or they announced all this info before the game was even out. They apparently had big debates about doing that. Bill Tran was on, I want to say IGN's podcast or something, and was saying like they they couldn't figure out like what's the best time because there is no best time. If you do it right after release, people are going to be like, wait, but why did I know about this before? Because that would affect my purchase possibly. But if you do it before, it's like, wait, but why are you not telling me what it is? If you do it eight months later, the hype would die down. Like they, no, it just brings the whole hype back up. In theory, it's, it's, it would. It's in just theory. like Mario Kart. Yeah. Like they didn't even say there was going to be DLC until I don't even know how much longer. It took later. Um, three months. It was in August of the year it came out. Why I know that, I will tell you later because we're going to talk about. Well, Mario three months is, I guess, a nice chunk of time. By then, yeah. you definitely have played the game thoroughly and are probably maybe ready to move on to the next thing if you haven't already. Yeah, and especially for Zelda, like. I think, yeah, after, like, two maybe weeks, I already beat it, and I was like, all right, um, what's next? But I guess I kind of know already because they told me, so it, it does kind of leave that I'm playing an incomplete game kind of feeling, even yeah. if, you know, maybe from the good of their heart, they did complete the game and they started working on it after, but that sucks. Like, I don't like knowing that because it's still, I don't know. Yeah, here's my, here's my it's thing just about a mindset that. that. Here's my thing about that. I honestly believe Nintendo, for the most part, is true to the whole we don't start making DLC until we're done with the main game. Like, in a minute, we're going to talk about Fire Emblem Echoes and its DLC. And Fire Emblem Echoes, we know all its DLC, all five packs already, and it's not out yet. However, in Japan, it's been out for two months, and they've been rolling them out after the release pretty steadily. So you could argue, okay, the game went gold, then they started working on it. Zelda, you could argue the game went gold, then they started working on it. But I think it, they basically were like, yeah, we're going to let the game finish 
we're gonna finish the game like this, knowing we're gonna hook in stuff later. Like I don't think yeah. it's as truthful because no, yeah, yeah, Hero, yeah, that's like yeah, like, like Mario Kart feels like it was true. Yeah, accurate. like they actually did everything they actually wanted to do. It's like all right, cool, we finished the game, and then eventually someone's going like, you know what, we should add more stuff to yeah. it. Here's this what, definitely feels like kind of like fighting games, like recent ones that Capcom. Yeah, like <laughs> Capcom for the most part, like their DLC hasn't really bothered me. It's just what they decided to put as DLC, like the specific characters. Like in Marvel's Capcom Infinite, one of the DLC characters is Sigma, which is one of the main bosses in the normal game. Right. So it just seems like, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense to me why you would put like a character you would assume to be mm-hmm. already in the game. He's probably going to be an opponent you could play versus the game. I mean, play against in the game as an yeah. AI, but... So his skill sets are already there. for whatever reason, yeah, he's just... Yeah, well, that, that's kind of why I felt like with the hero pack. Or something, thing. yeah, or, Mar- or Injustice. Like, they just released the... Um, and NetherRealm's always did this with Mortal Kombat X also, where they're like, all right, here is um, a teaser trailer for DLC characters. You get Starfire, um, I forgot, two other characters. And the game's not out for three more mo- or for two more months. No, it comes out in May. I thought it came out in June. Injustice? Injustice yeah. 2? I'm pretty sure it comes out in May. Never mind. It comes out sometime late May. Never mind. But they just released a trailer with Sub-Zero, Starfire, and some other character that I forgot. But as DLC, but then right behind them, you see, like, the silhouettes of six other characters. Like, they have nine DLC characters already planned out. Like, yeah. why not just go Smash Bros. and make a bigger roster and then actually make DLC for later? But Yeah, yeah, it's it's to kind of... Well, it's a business at this point. It's not it even about... Business. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm debating this. Like, they're not putting the player for that. They're clearly not putting their player first. Yeah, and but. I mean, the, the thing about Zelda, just to reel it back to that, because there's a point I was going to make before you on the fighting game thing... Uh, which I mean, is Overwatch is point. doing what they should have been doing. Overwatch is doing it right. Overwatch is doing what yeah, yeah they made they made the they, game. Yeah, people even figured like, all right, they're still missing some characters, but every character they've released so far has been free. Like you only paid that they game splatooned one. it. Yeah, they splatooned yeah, they literally splatooned it. They, uh, well, many things about Overwatch are following the splatoon model: the frequent events, yeah, the free DLC on a regular basis, mm-hmm. the rollout of that DLC. It's very splatoon. Now, if only Nintendo followed their own pattern but the thing i was gonna say about zelda is because we we're saying how it feels like it's being hooked in stuff that's already like they left hooks in the finished game knowing they do it hero path mode it works retroactively how does dlc for something that wasn't planned in advance and already considered as part of the thing how is that able to track what you just did 150 hours before you got the dlc unless they knew it was going to be there which is why again i think it makes sense as a free update obviously they were planning to put it in couldn't implement it by switch launch they sat on it. Now they're rolling it into DLC. Just put it out for free. If you could do the language thing, you could do this. I don't know. On the flip side of this entire scenario, though, we've got Nintendo's approach to the DLC for Fire Emblem Echoes, uh, Shadows of Valencia. I already kind of alluded to this, but here, it is strictly gameplay, so I'll give them that. It is exactly what DLC should be. It is nothing that changes the flow of the game. It's nothing that would like greatly affect, like, oh, I wish I had this three months ago when I started playing it. I don't have to worry about that because the DLC comes out a week after launch. Not even a week, I don't think. But anyway, Jeez. the thing that's even more G's worthy is the high price, and it's going to shy some people away. So the game, like I said, has been out in Japan for a couple months, I think, which means Nintendo can legitimately tell us up front you are getting this much DLC for this much. And what they have told us is the DLC altogether for Fire Emblem Echoes, all of it as a season pass, is $45, which is more than the cost of the base game itself. Which is a little insane. And that's with the Season Pass discount. If you were to, for some reason, end up buying the DLC separately, the five pieces, it costs you $52 for on a $40 game. I mean, eventually, depending on the life of a game, DLC could surpass the price of it. Yeah, but it's all out by mid-June. 
I know, yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 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 that's I a mean, lot. I'm sorry, the last one's down the road. I mean, how much does Smash Bros. DLC end up costing total? I don't think anyone's ever exceeded the full price of a game. It's so funny. Like, I tweeted this, but Nintendo went from being one of the if last you count companies. Amiibo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but then you get something physical, too, so it's a little... I agree, Amiibo is plastic DLC, but it also gives you a physical object to have. So it is a little different of a circumstance. Like, you could argue, well, yeah, it's going to cost more Guitar game. Hero, Rock Band... Okay, and I, I guess I mean DLC like this, but that, those are very good points, actually. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because Nintendo went, I tweeted something like this the day this was announced, but Nintendo went from being one of the last companies to embrace DLC to be one of the first to do something like this, where the DLC outside of song packs cost more than the game Oh yeah, itself. I mean, if they sprinkled this out, like, for 10 bucks a pop over the course of a few months, that'd be, that'd be fine, but because yeah. it's already basically done, and they're like, oh, here you go for it all at once yeah it's a little weird Actually, yeah because even then um season passes for other games like fighting games they're usually at most 20 bucks mm-hmm. and they always split it like they do they usually do do multiple seasons but you usually don't have to worry about that till a lot later they don't give you a year pass or a right right now now in the series pass, I, I i feel like we need to give nintendo some credit where it's due on this one this isn't zelda this isn't all or nothing like i was saying there are five separate DLC packs. So even if you do a season pass, you don't have... Like, there's no requirement to spend $45. There's never a requirement to buy DLC. We're complaining as people that are interested in DLC and want to get the most bang for a buck, I feel like. Like, just to be clear, when, there's probably people that are like, so just don't buy it if you don't like it, which is totally valid. But what if you do want it, but you feel it's unfair, then you get in this situation. But what Nintendo's saying is um, they're going to be... This is how they word it. 22 content... Or, sorry, 22 pieces of content. For those $45. Now that varies. Each DLC pack is actually going to cost different and have different amounts of content. So for example, the first DLC pack, which comes out I think the week after the game, that is $8 and gives you one dungeon and two maps to battle on. So the new thing in Echoes, for those that don't know, is there's a dungeon crawler element. It's actually like 3D running into the screen, like over the shoulder. Like it's a whole third person, you control the character Zelda style situation. So they have that, one of those, and two of the maps. Okay. Then if you jump ahead down the line, you're going to get DL- the fourth DLC pack, which would be $15, but comes with a whole new story scenario, a story scenario has voice acting, no- new voice acting just for DLC, extended side dialogues for, that aren't in other parts of the game. There's a new character. There's what they're calling a, quote, set of maps that will tie it all together. They say in total those 15 bucks will get you four pieces of content. So including the new character, I assume that means three maps for $15 versus two maps for $8. So clearly it's not like a direct dollar to price or sorry dollar to map value there's no like direct correlation here there's no dollar per minute of gameplay yeah exactly but the the content counts to me are kind of important even if it's not one-to-one because if you tie together your 22 pieces of content that Nintendo says you're gonna get over these 45 dollars or 52 dollars um that creates a number of questions like for me as a consumer who may buy that game i don't I don't know what that means. Does that mean that if I bought the gate base game at forty dollars, I'm getting fewer than twenty two pieces of content? Because if so, that's the smallest Fire Emblem game they've ever released, and that almost feels like a ripoff. Or does it mean that the DLC is much more expensive per map or dungeon, roughly? Because if so, that's also weird because they've never done that before. And then that's not even factoring in the fact that if I decide to buy the limited edition, I get cool stuff but zero DLC. And if I decide to buy the amiibo to unlock the separate amiibo dungeons and maps, that's another amount I have to spend for the two-pack of uh, Alm and Cecilia. Oh, man. What are you going to do, Jason? Well, my point is, if you're a diehard Fire Emblem fan... Like you? I'm not saying... I'm saying as a consumer. I will buy maybe... I'm getting the core game. 
that's probably all I'm getting. Maybe, the, <gasps> you know, but you're not going to get the DLC. Well, here's why: because if I were the diehard Fire Emblem fan who wants everything, and I know they're out there, and they're probably not very happy about this, it would cost me for limited edition for the amiibo for all the DLC for the game. It would cost me a hundred thirty dollars to get the entire Fire Emblem Echoes experience. That's a lot. Not just for a three S three DS game. Man, that's but like for a fifth of what I spent on the amiibo for Smash Brothers. Yeah, yeah, but. Those are physical collect. I mean, granted, some of these are too. But one hundred thirty dollars, like half of it's a collectible. Fine, it's like seventy dollars for limited, limited edition plus amiibo is eighty five dollars. They got forty five dollars on the uh, DLC. I think I did that math wrong, but whatever. The point is, that's a lot for the full experience for a three DS game. I don't know. It just seems. High. And like lots of DLC is nothing new for Fire Emblem. Well, I mean, you could definitely see the confidence they have in Fire Emblem now compared to like yeah. Fire Emblem Awakening to freaking. Yeah, like Awakening with just like, here's this one game with just a ton of stuff in it. And then here is Birthright and Conquest. And mm-hmm. then you have Epilogue. <laughs> or, oh, my bad. Revelations yeah. or whatever. And. They just those... gave up on naming. You have to pay to name it, to get a name. <laughs> and it's like that one's three games. So like, I guess if you want the full like the full experience, that's like a little that's like almost a hundred bucks right there. Right. So now you're getting thirty nine ninety nine, thirty nine ninety Yeah. So but the special edition gave you all three for like ninety. Yeah. And now you're getting a game and some DLC. Did that one 20... have DLC also? Uh, I believe so, actually. Yeah, but so you're probably getting about the same price then. So it's, it's I don't know because you yeah, but Nintendo marketed. Uh, I know that one, Conquest Birthright Epilogue, as uh, <laughs> Revelations, as three full games. They oracled it. They Zelda Oracle of Ages and seasoned it. So you got two entire games that could live on their own, plus this third epilogue, which I guess is the equivalent of the fifteen dollars story pack in this one, plus whatever DLC you choose to buy, and that still was cheaper than the hundred thirty for this time the single game with DLC, and that's it. We it may it may it's just a change in marketing, but in which case they are mixing, they're muddying up their own message. Now you're right. Smash Bros. had this too at the Amiibo, but you were not really paying for DLC with each Amiibo. You chose to co- to collect those Amiibo, not because you wanted to use every Amiibo in Smash Bros. No one that bought every Amiibo for Smash Bros. used every Amiibo in Smash Bros. If you are listening and you bought every Amiibo in Smash Bros. and used every Amiibo and trained it in Smash Bros. and have an army of 50-some-odd Amiibo, please leave a comment on this episode at Rantown.com and tell us A, why, and B, how? How did oh, you have the time and the patience for that? I'll be right back. You trained all of them. Remember, I, all I, of them. There were there were used. As, you scanned all of them. I scanned all of them. But did you train all of them to and their I, full potential? Did you maximize your Smash Bros. experience the way that you countered my full Fire Emblem experience point? Um, not to their full potential. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, and you mostly did it because you bought them and you wanted to have a reason to use them, right? If you weren't collecting them, would you have been like, I need to train up, all, like, like in your mindset? It was, I'm collecting them, not I need to train them, right? Once you had them, you trained them. You didn't well, for, tra- buy well, them to train them. Well, Did I mean, you? when they announced them, it was more like, oh, right, well, I, have, I guess I have to get all yeah. these things. Um, so it's the inverse if of the it was, thing. But because I was already getting them, I mean, I guess um, if I didn't already have this preconceived notion that I have to collect all these amiibo. That's, not, that's what I'm saying. Um, I mean, I got them because I definitely really liked the that Pokemon aspect of it where I could like train up a team of them mm-hmm. and have them battle other AI and just see who trained them better. So I definitely wanted to like train a bunch of them. Like I trained every single character to full that I, I that, 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 go- that I actually liked as the character. So like all the characters I made, I also trained all the way to level 50. Every other character, I just kind of let them fight amongst themselves to whatever level they got. And I just oh, see, made- so you didn't have to put in work for that. 
You don't even have to really put in work for that. Well, you let them fight amongst themselves. Well, that's you just right. Let the because, AI run. Because there were our restaurants, remember? I named them that's after right. a bunch of different That's how we used to pick where to eat. But yeah. my, my point is, you're saying that, like my Fire Emblem thing about if you want the full, if you want all the DLC and everything and whatnot, you need to pay X amount. You're saying, but that's no different than Smash. We're like, I don't know, because you're buying it for oh, the no. physical toys first, gameplay second. Oh, no, no, no. I was, yeah. just, I was just talking about how much money you're spending for oh, a game. Oh, in to- I see what you're saying. I took it too just because that Yeah, like that yeah. game is, if you want to, I guess, access everything, not so much that it's actual gameplay, you are spending more. But, yeah, well, you, it, but take what that limited edition, because that's unfair to your po- to that point. If you buy the normal game, take like that's 60 versus 40, so take out $20. But, um, yeah, because really the gameplay stuff is just the DLC, the Amiibo, and the main yeah, game. Yeah, because the Amiibo are, um, they do become a lot better than regular computers when you fight against well, yeah, them. Yeah. So it's kind of like saying, like, oh, man, if I want to do like three on ones i do have to buy three amiibo because you can't just scan the same one multiple right. times right so yeah. yeah i don't know it just seems like like either as, way as you point out yeah. the fire Emblem dlc is nothing new it just seems like this one this one probably the generated, way it's presented just sounds like the craziest yeah and that led to more blowback than most fire emblems got because like no one's forced to get dlc i mean at that point they should have just made two versions of the game right just like, yeah. I mean, just birthright it and conquer it just call one girl Epilogue. and boy yeah call it alm and <laughs> cecilia or girl and boy, or just make one box pink and one box blue, and then get chewed out because you're <laughs> well, I, I following forget, gender norms too much. I forgot their names. Yeah, yeah, it's Almond Cecilia. But um, I mean, no one's forced. or just Pokemon it, and then like make one blue and make make one pink, but actually put the guy in the pink one and the oh, girl. Oh, shattering those expectations. Just like black and white, they yeah. have the yeah, inverse Yeah, because Nintendo doesn't see race. Um, but I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, just to be clear, between no gender, <laughs> no race for black and white, oh. and gender for male and woman. Nintendo's very, uh, very uh, progressive. <laughs> progressive, progressive. Uh, but my point is to say is no one's obviously forced to buy DLC, but if you want to provide the right balance of cost and content for people to be happy and avoid the blowback that Echo's got. Like, if you want to avoid the fact that we had a 15-minute conversation about how their DLC does and doesn't make sense, you can do it by just balancing everything out. I'd argue that in and of itself, that juggling act, that DLC juggling act, somehow Nintendo's still struggling with in general. Like, Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem is an example where it bounces off, and that led to the perception, the public perception, that it's bad, quote-unquote, DLC. And the thing is, Nintendo has done this right before. And then Zelda, you have the perception that, oh, you don't know what it is, I don't know what I'm spending it on, and that's also kind of bad. But Nintendo's done this right before. Mario Kart 8, we, I alluded that I knew all its DLC info, and here's why. Mario Kart 8 came out in 2014, I think, and it somehow nailed the dlc balance correct like everything was great about that when it was announced in the wii u days nintendo was very upfront. they said hey we're gonna come out with two dlc packs they each come with three vehicles four characters eight courses and it's gonna be priced at eight dollars for one or twelve dollars for two so if you did the math you're getting 50 percent more tracks for your mario kart 8 for a fifth of the cost of the game and that doesn't factor in vehicles and characters even and that is a great deal and everyone knew that and it was perfect now you look at Fire Emblem Echoes, and there's this whole, like, well, wh- why is it that expensive? What's that mean about the main game? What's that mean about the act- the other game? Why is this so absurd? And then you have Breath of the Wild, where we're well aware of what's in the first DLC pack. We know the gist of what's coming in winter, but until we really know what the second expansion is, everyone's gambling on that DLC. Like, there's no quantifiable measure for DLC. Nintendo may have found the right balance for that DLC. It may be worth $20. It may not be worth $20. We don't really know. What was the thing? No one's forcing you to buy no it out of the gate. No one's forcing you to buy it. So it's not a gamble. Yeah. Just be patient. 
Yeah, it's just weird that in town... They we- just made it available to buy, but I suggest that everyone should just wait until yeah. December. It's just weird to me that in town went from clear-cut, balanced DLC, like Mario Karts, to all these wishy-washy, like, we're going to experiment and see what people think of, well, what if we don't tell them? I mean, what if to, we make it $45? I mean, to be fair, it's a it, it is easier to make, um... I mean, I would assume it's easier to make DLC for Mario Kart, because, like, okay, yeah, more, char- more characters, more tracks. Yeah. For a game like Zelda, I mean, it's like, how much do you value, like, those temples, like, the Guardians? Like, they, I mean, they still, to me, they still didn't even really feel like real temples. They just felt like giant shrines. Yeah, so is, like, they is were like, they were like going to be like that, too? They were, like, somewhere between, a temp, like, a proper temple from a, what you would consider a proper temple in a Zelda game mm-hmm. and the shrines, like, those tiny little puzzle rooms. They were just, like, bigger. So, I don't know. And that's the like, thing, like, I, from a... Yeah, that's the thing, like, I mean, is that worth, like four books from a PR perspective I get Nintendo's angle on this like they avoid any sort of negative blowback because Actually, they don't if the balance is off we don't know until it's out and people are already like well I'm playing it and then they might talk about the gameplay more than the balance See, I, I think what they had to do was just not sprinkle it out I think that's probably just yeah. like the like the horrible way to do it they should have yeah. just kind of like you said um, bite the bullet and just release those smaller things that's just free mm-hmm. it's just a free update and then just do what Skyrim does or those other adventure ge- those open world games that have DLC like Red Dead Redemption they just had a a zombie a zombie themed one that included a bunch of random skins that had nothing to do with zombies Yeah, and it also had a whole zombie story mode this could literally be the same thing just call it Zelda DLC I don't know rebuilding of the kingdom and then <laughs> that's a good name actually I don't know and then there's just um I don't know, have some story stuff in a size of random costumes. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah, it would make a lot more sense. Like, it they tried to structure a lot better. Yeah. Season pass into something like Nintendo. Like, that's what I'm that's saying. That's what that too. They had like a zom- they had a vampire one. I forgot right. what it was called. And then they also released some other stuff with it. Like, just and I don't know, just theme it. Wait, yeah, the waiting is definitely the biggest thing, but they didn't. So, yeah, I'm playing with a you're glove. playing with a glove. So if you guys hear a gentle cloth flap. That's what that is. Uh, but the no, I was gonna say that um, that's kind of the big takeaway I got from this DLC announcement. I, I mean, there's obviously oh cool, here's new content, but it also made me realize that in some ways Nintendo still hasn't found their DLC feeling, even though they've been doing it since 2012 or so. Like if they make it direct and clear, I would say to like people, Smash Bros was also handled pretty well too. Yeah, Smash was handled well, Cart was handled well. It's like oh, they got this. Now I'm not so sure. So like if they make it direct and clear what you're buying, and they balance the value of the items to the price. They're golden. Until then, they're gonna keep getting these little roller coasters of negative and positive feedback from fans as they keep toying with the approach. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to do. This isn't like the mobile game space where they could be like, "Well, this one will make free to play, and that one will charge, and one will do well, and one won't." Because like, people are already buying your games, already invested. They already want to have the best experience they can. So if you muddy the water, it just it doesn't reflect well on you. So I'm gonna be curious to see if Arms does dlc differently is splatoon 2 does dlc differently neither don't officially have it coming but come on you know it's happening so that's the next test and those two are clearer those are mario kart and smash bros in terms of dlc that should be easy so if nintendo somehow messes that up then we might actually start wondering has nintendo's mindset about dlc changed to be more less player savvy and more business savvy as the rest of the industry is or are they still playing players first that's that's the the make or break moment so we'll know this summer or fall or winter whenever they do it i don't know but Great metaphor, by the way. About what? The muddy water reflect on yourself. I really like that one. Oh. Yeah, that was really cool. 
You know, you know, it's I, I've never heard of that one before. I don't know. I just thought like, oh, wow, it's so simple, but the muddy, yeah, the, yeah I, I, it will reflect that well on you. So here's the fun part about that. That wasn't fully intentional. Muddy the water I meant to do. Reflect on yourself I did not think would pair with Muddy the Water, but thank you. It's perfect. I'm also a poet, if you didn't know it. So, uh, no, but I I just killed it. All the goodwill out the window. Um, I just muddied it back up. Uh, (laughs) But, no, that was unintentional, but I wish I could say it was. And that actually segues us, the whole Arms of Splatoon 2 comment segues us pretty nicely into the other bucket of news this episode, which is E3. Uh, You may not have realized it. I don't know if you realized it. We are less than a month away from the expo. In 29 days, as of this episode, uh, E3 is happening. And in preparation for that, Nintendo announced some of their official plans, which, among other things, include a Splatoon 2 Invitational Tournament Does and that mean we an have ARMS official Open plans? Tournament. We do. I will be at E3 all three days covering it. Huh. Thanks to work. Sounds busy. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. So I will see in person this Invitational Tournament from Splatoon and the ARMS Open Tournament. Maybe I'll even be able to compete in that one. Um, I'm just, I yeah, I know, I can dream. Uh, and it's gonna, be, they're both gonna be streamed from the booth live online. I would have really loved for them to do it at the Microsoft Theater. You again. know what though? Um, I was watching some footage from whatever tournament they had recently the in, Japan, in Japan. Yeah, and there was a person. I, because a lot of it was invitational, so a lot of them were like professional fighting game players, like Justin Wong was there, and among others. And there was one dude, I forgot his name, but he was doing that strategy that I figured like one person was. He was just completely flailing the whole time. Yep. And he won. He, like, completely dominated the other person. The other person was trying to dodge. They were trying to, like, figure out, like, where to move and to try to, re- like, that know, counter. That honestly is but it, but it didn't work. That is awesome. Like, the guy just kept flailing like crazy, and he won. Every time the guy tried to throw a counter, every time he tried to throw a grab, he would just get hit by one of the random flailing arms because he was also, like, jumping around like right, crazy. Right, And I'm like, hmm. I mean, the game's not out yet, but I That's hope. That's legit concerning. I mean, I hope it's not a strategy that works. Well, you'll get a second a second test of it with the open tournament because that's gonna be streamed so you can see for yourself. And that's the week it comes out. So Arms comes out the Friday of E three week. So it'll either make or break some of those sales, I'm sure, if it is flailable like that. But I really, I really wish they did that and the Splatoon one in the Microsoft Theater where the game awards are held, where they did the Smash tournament, where they did the World Championships, Nintendo World Championships that one year. I get they don't have the audience, like Splatoon will not necessarily it'll come close. But it's no smash, and it won't fill up the the theater. And arms most certainly will not. But like, it just was so cool to have in that big venue, and it's like such an like event to go to. And like, so many Nintendo people were there, and Miyamoto was there, and they like they built this huge stage. It's really cool. Like, it'd be cool if they did something like that. But even in the booth, I guess it's all right. But uh, besides the tourneys, Nintendo's also got multiple days of Treehouse Live covering Switch and 3DS games. As always, they will have the first ever playable demo of Mario Odyssey on the show floor, among other games, of course. And uh, on top of all that, as they always do, a pre-recorded presentation the Tuesday morning of E3, which this year they're calling the Nintendo Spotlight, and it's all about the Switch, a light with a sw- a light and a Switch. Usually they call it the Nintendo Showcase, but it's a Spotlight. It's about the Switch. Is that intentional? Am I overthinking this? Am I looking for puns that don't exist? Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, yeah, the presentation is only about the Switch, which makes sense given that you know they blew through all the 3DS news and the 2DS XL and all that in the last few weeks. So they cleared a path. They could focus on Switch. And according to Nintendo, um, they're focusing specifically on 2017 releases for the Switch, which makes sense. It lines up with how they treated E3 in the past. So we're going to get probably some Splatoon 2 stuff. I'm sure it'll be a few last-minute ARMS announcements and please to please, please, please not flail because you're going to break the game if you do. Uh, they're probably going to talk about Mario Odyssey a lot. I'm sure there's going to be some Fire Emblem Warriors, some Xenoblade 2 gameplay. But what I think we're also going to see 
which Nintendo doesn't say, is I think we're in store for a bunch of surprises, too. I mean, first of all, just because Nintendo says they're focusing on 2017 games does not mean they're only showing 2017 games. This is the same company who last year said E3 is only about Zelda, and then right from their booth, right in the stage on their booth, revealed Ever Oasis for the first time, showed the first ever Paper Mario Color Splash uh, gameplay, had a whole panel with all the developers of Pokemon Go, and did the simultaneous release and announcement at once for Rhythm Heaven Megamix, all from the E3 where only Zelda would be present. So, if Nintendo says they're focusing on 2017, we are going to see some 2018 games. And I'm sure we're going to see some 2017 games we don't know about on a smaller scale, too. Like, something along the lines of Project uh, Mikuru, for example. Which, if you don't remember, that's that game that kind of looks like Bomberman, sort of. But you're butt-stomping to switch over tiles and you need to fill the board as much as you can and butt-stomp as much as you can, basically, to win. That's probably going to be there. Um, and now is the name of Battle Sports Mikuru, by the way. But I imagine similar eShop-only games like that would kind of be shown during the director, shown during um, the Treehouse Live as kind of these compliments to Nintendo's major games. So I think we're going to see a few surprise games like that. Or maybe Nintendo's going to go real crazy. Maybe we're going to bring something in out of left field, like, uh, I don't know, a game starring Bowser? Hear about this? Yeah. Yeah, so for those who haven't, it was recently discovered that back in late February, Nintendo filed a Japanese trademark for Koopa, as in Bowser, that included for the first time coverage of quote program for home video game console so maybe they maybe that's what retro maybe the game literally starting a koopa no no no, it's it's like koopa is in king koopa they don't call the like koopa capital k with the trademark is his japanese yeah yeah Yeah, obviously you knew that what would you want bowser what would a bowser game even be like it can't be like i can't see him doing something like super princess peach which is like what if we put peach in a platformer and then had her emotions control everything like they're not they can't do that I mean, I but guess it would still be a platform of some sort. Would it? Like, yeah, real crazy. I mean, yeah. what would your idea, like, what would you want to see Bowser in as a Bowser fan, if anything? I can't even think of anything that makes sense. Like, it's not like... I don't know. What if they did a resource a management game? What if they did a resource management game? Kind of like um, Godzilla Destroyer Monsters Melee. But who would be the other... Other giant... Wart from Mario 2? Bowser yeah. versus Wart? Just that's the whole game. Pretty just much just a bunch of giant Mario creatures. They could just make them all. That would be kind of cool. If they I mean, did, they like, have Koopa's a bunch of bosses. I mean, I mean, or you something. Could, I mean, you could literally have like they've had giant wigglers. They have um, they can make PD Piranha all big. Oh yeah, King I mean, Boo. I mean, they could, or they actually they don't even have to be super giant. They could just be like relatively big. It's just like a I don't know, like a big boss brawler or something. Wait, super giant would be cool though, because then you can like set up like, know, oh, like, they're fighting an Isle Delfino and they're crushing Isle Delfino. Yeah, or that's right. Like literally just throw monsters melee, but replace Godzilla that, creatures with Bowser. That and, would actually be really cool. And other kaiju. Another on. neat thing would be some sort of streamlined resource management game, almost like you're running Bowser's Kingdom. Like, you took over, now you gotta manage it, or something. Like, some sort of, like, civilization. Mushroom Kingdom Tycoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, Civilization, but with Bowser or something. Like, there's a lot. I feel like Bowser's a unique character in that there's a lot they can do with him. Yeah. Like, Princess Peach, when they did Super Princess Peach, they're like, well, that's the obvious choice. A platformer with Peach. Like, role reversal. But, you know, a Yoshi yeah. game is like, oh, yeah. Bowser's sister was already in the Mario template, so. Yeah. Yeah, so even Bowser's previous starring role was still a different series entirely. So this is the first chance they have to really get creative. So maybe we'll see that at E3. I mean, I think Nintendo's going to really throw some stuff at us we don't expect, because if not that, maybe there's Pikmin 4. It'd make perfect sense to follow up the 3DS release this summer with a Pikmin later in the year or early next year or something like that. Or maybe, maybe... maybe even, actually, it'd be pretty interesting to see a Nintendo take on... um... I forgot what the name of it. I forgot the name of the the name of the game, but it's a PSP game and it has the a super long name. Pretty much, you play as a villain, and you're supposed to like 
build a fortress and heroes like at random intervals like spawn in for PlayStation Vita. No, just um, just for PSP. Oh, PSP. I did say Vita, but yeah, for PSP, I think it's called like, "Hey, hero, I created a dungeon so I could kill you" or something. Like oh that. yeah, 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 I've heard that. I, I was gonna look it up, but and, and, and pretty much it's like um, at random intervals, like heroes pop in and they go through like your pretty much your labyrinth that you create. You right. put enemies, you set traps, and I could imagine it just being like, "Oh, like you have, you have set amount of time to stop Mario from getting to you. If he gets to you, you lose. If he doesn't get to you, then you get to go." It's almost like an inverse of Mario Maker. Yeah, it's pretty much like inverse Mario Maker. That'd be really cool. That'd be great on. I think like you don't control the AI; you just control the traps, I guess. Right. That'd be cool. It's all. It, you know what? It's like a mix of Mario Maker and uh, the mini Mario games, like Mar- Minis March Again or whatever, where you're kind of saying that you control the course, not the person. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really cool. That'd be a good eShop. Yeah, title. and it'd be really cool if you could just like activate traps in real time. And pretty much like you set your traps, and you're like, all right, the hero's coming, and then you press play, I guess. Or as soon as the, as soon as Mario opens the door, you can't build anymore, and then you right. have to. Kind of follow him with the camera and try to activate your traps as he's going. Pretty much like, I don't know, Rayman, Rayman, uh, Rayman Legends. How you play mm, that mm-hmm. dude that just right, right, the touch levels. Yeah, that just like supports the character or something. That like would that be but... actually really fun. It's it's that I hate to say it, that like all Bal- sounds like it'd be better on 3ds than on Switch. Like Bowser's Lair Builder or something. Else. Yeah, that that'd be neat. Actually, yeah, I, anything. It, Bowser has a lot more flexibility than a lot of characters in terms of what they can do with it. So yeah. that that'd be cool. You know who could be working on it in theory. I guarantee they're not, but Retro, Retro Studios, we don't know what they're doing. It's been four years, I think, since their last game came out, and we literally know nothing. All we know is they recently hired the composer of Deus Ex to make music for them, so clearly something's in the works. I don't know if we're going to see it at E3, but that would be a cool surprise to have. Like, maybe the Bowser games from Retro, maybe they're separate projects, maybe Pikmin 4 is by Retro, and it's actually first person as a Pikmin, and you can, like, see the reflection in things, like you can't Samus in her helmet. I have no idea, but, like, that's where we're at. Like, we're in the fun guessing game of, of E3. Now, to reel it into something more plausible, I think a real possibility of what we might see as an E3 surprise is the long-rumored Pokemon Stars, which, uh, for those who don't recall, is the supposed enhanced third version of Sun and Moon that's coming to Switch. And this rumor started via Eurogamer. It should be called Eclipse. It should be called Eclipse. Well, Stars is apparently just the code name. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, the rumor came from Eurogamer a while ago, the same Eurogamer who initially properly leaked Switch details. And the idea at that time that they reported was going to be out this year. So it would be a surprise um, if, they, if Nintendo shows it and releases it. Well, not – it'd be a surprise officially, but unofficially we kind of know. But Nintendo's actually never announced a mainline Pokemon game at E3 before. They have shown them there, but they always get their own separate announcement. So it seems a little unlikely, but there are a couple of odd coincidences that point to it maybe being a possibility. Uh, first up – Either the Pokemon company is trolling fans expertly or they are teasing them expertly, but either way, they just launched a line of merchandise at the Japanese Pokemon Center stores centered around Cosmog, the Pokemon Sun and Moon Pokemon who is star-themed and has stars in his eyes or whatever, and they're using the tagline for the merchandise of Look Upon the Stars. So they have a whole set of brand new Sun and Moon merchandise centered around a star Pokemon who's somewhat of a legendary, right? He has, like, he's up there with the important guys. Well, I mean, he evolved into them. There you go. Okay. So he is tied to the legendaries. And their whole merchandise scene is look upon the stars right at the same time that the Pokemon star rumors exist. That's either the best trolling or definitely a tease. And it could be a fake coincidence, but it, it's more fun to think of it as a crazy conspiracy. And they're clearly, clearly scheming. Uh, and adding fuel to that conspiracy even further is that the just this last week there is the sudden removal of the original pokemon sun and moon reveal video from the japanese and american youtube channels of nintendo now 
you can still find the reveal video for X and Y on the channel. So it's not like they take these down after a certain amount of time. They specifically, for some unclear reason, took down Sun and Moon's reveal video. Some people are saying it's because they're prepping to put a star's reveal video up in its place and they don't want people to get confused for some stupid reason. Because like X and Y never had a Z. So they never had to like take it down to replace it with the Z and not cause confusion. But Sun and Moon would have a stars and thus possibly that's why they're taking it down. So who knows? I mean, fun conspiracies aside, I'm kind of torn on whether we even get C stars in 2017. Like, they may do a teaser at E3, but I don't know if they're going to release it this year, even though the rumors say they are, because the Switch lineup is kind of stacked. I mean, assuming Nintendo keeps its roughly one game per month schedule that they're on now, we're going to be getting ARMS in June, Splatoon 2 in July, presumably Fire Emblem Warriors in September or October, Mario Odyssey likely in November, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I would guess, probably in December, like The Last Chronicles. That means there's one open slot left, that like August-slash-September period. And unless Nintendo were to double-stack, which I guess I could see them doing with Fire Emblem Warriors, they could do Pokemon and Fire Emblem in the same month, I don't know where stars would go because that one open slot that's left is most likely going to be taken up by a different long-rumored title that's now getting corroborated by even more sources, and that is the Mario Rabbids crossover. So... If stars were to be a thing, I don't know where stars would live in the lineup. Likewise, I don't think we're going to see a retro game this year unless it is, you know, something that we already know or some sort of double stack. I don't think we're going to see Smash Bros. this year for Switch because, again, where would it go unless they double stack? But at that point now, they're possibly triple stacking. Like, if they want to have a steady drumbeat really of a game a month... would be surprising if they do the Splatoon 2 route where you're like, oh, you thought we were just going to do a port or like a deluxe version? Like, no, it's actually... We're already working on the next Smash Oh, for version. Smash? Yeah. yeah. But even then... Like, this time without Sakurai... He just, he just yeah, left, he is tired of it. He, he just that. he just left with his cliff notes, even though. He, notes. And then, sure enough, like after a few months, like oh, Sakurai is back as director because no matter how many times he says he's tired of it, he, he just keeps can't coming back. He just can't let. And he has said that he doesn't like anyone else working on it or yeah, something it's like his that. Baby, I get that. Yeah. It's it's like if if I were to say, you know what, I'm gonna take a break from the Rantown podcast. I'd be back the next episode because be like, ah, oh, but other people are gonna run it. No, 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 no. I like being part of it. I don't want to just hand it off. Like, I'd feel super weird if you, like, secretly recorded your own special episode without tying me. And I imagine that's how Sakurai would feel if Smash Bros. was made without him being there. You well, know? I'm going to do that and see how you actually feel. Um, We'll find out. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you tell me, I'll be more like whatever. Anyway. Well, I'm not. The po- I, mean. I know, I know. That's yeah. the whole point. Uh, but, yeah, the point is I don't see Smash happening this year. I don't see Stars happening this year. I do see Mario and Rabbids happening this year simply because it's rumored to be happening this year. Apparently, the crossover, which is now officially called Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, according to the rumors, um, will be released in either August or September, filling that empty slot. And but wouldn't it be filling it in as a third-party slot and not so much a first-party well, slot? Well, that's what's interesting. Is apparently, you could argue that for sure, but you could also say it's Mario, so it does both. I mean, Nintendo's probably going to treat it I mean, Nintendo, the marketing of the first Nintendo party. treat Hyrule Warriors? At yes. The... Nintendo published Hyrule Warriors. That's oh. a little different. Uh, so who knows what I don't what know. Would what would be a good the, example then? There isn't. No. Uh, a good example would be like a Dragon Quest. Nope, Nintendo Zombie U? Did they treat? No, they didn't. Zombie U. Well, Zombie U did. That was a third party game yeah. through and through. They didn't have any Nintendo anything. It'd be like NBA. No, it wouldn't even be that. It was like maybe like NBA Street when Mario was in it, but that was just a cameo. Like this whole game is based, according to the leaks, this whole game is based around the Mario hook. So I don't. Nintendo's probably going to treat it like first party, or they certainly don't want to step on its toes because it's a Mario vehicle as much as it is a rabid vehicle. So, I don't know. But what, what's interesting about it is now Kotaku is jumping in and saying that this thing is real. They've seen official assets. They won't share the assets per the source's request. But they say they've seen it. 
They provide details that line up very well with uh, recent leaks by Emily Rogers, who's one of the first to leak this alongside Laura Kate Dale back when she was still a leaker that people paid attention to. So something and... that leaks her thing. What? I don't know. This... Yeah, well, this one, this one's especially weird because we've known about this since like January. It's supposed to be revealed in January, supposedly. Then it wasn't. Then the switch came out. Then everyone kind of like, whatever. Who cares? Maybe it wasn't true. We got our switches. We're happy. And now it's bubbling up again with an E3 debut most likely happening, if not before then. So this, to me, is the surest bet of a E3 quote-unquote surprise. Obviously, it's not a surprise. We know about it. But based on the leaks, it sounds like it could be potentially cool. Like, we don't know a lot of gameplay details. We just know the gist of it. It's certainly weird and a strange crossover, but maybe in a good way. So it's going to be a strategy, turn-based strategy RPG, kind of like Fire Emblem, kind of like Final Fantasy Tactics, not like an RPG like Mario & Luigi. So right there, sorry, a different type of Mario turn-based experience. And it's going to emphasize two-player local co-op, which makes sense. you got the two Joy-Cons. And it's apparently going to be very heavy on the rabid, typical humor. Take that as you will. Uh, but if their ports are correct, it's actually being built with uh, the same Snowdrop engine that Ubisoft is using for the South Park RPGs. So that that those games look nice. So Matt, I assume this... I mean, they look just like real South Park, so I assume that gives them a lot of flexibility to really give this a game, this game its own personality. Um, apparently it has a weird sci-fi slant to it. There are going to be eight playable characters, four rabbits, four Mushroom Kingdom uh, people, and each character will have their own cartoony weapon, be it a ray gun so or an arm cannon. Peach. So, well, here's what's interesting. If you're still with me on the sci-fi thing, here's the roster of the eight playable characters. Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Yoshi huh. on the Mario side. And on the rabbit side, you have rabbits dressed as Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Yoshi. Seriously. So your characters are normal ones and rabbit ones. Oh, man. And then you know they're just going to add them to Mario Kart. They just have another Mario rabbit. There's your DLC for Mario Kart. Rabbit eight. Mario. And, There's your, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> There'll be seven Marios Peach. and five Peaches. But, yes, the the core group of characters. Whoop. I know. It's, it's so crazy you dropped your water. The core groups of characters are the Mario mainstays and then duplicates of the Mario mainstays. So I don't know. This game is... It's weird. Like, it's absurd enough that I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, I enjoyed the original Raving Rabbits back on Wii. But I this liked... is nothing like that. No, I know. But, like, the, 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 the even the personality of it I liked. And, like, Rabbits Go Home later in Wii's life was also really good. So I don't... One? What? You bought that Yeah, one? I have it. Oh. If you want, I can bring it over sometime if you want to try it. It's cool. It's kind of like Kamari Degrassi, but not. But Or however you say that game. Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't have anything against Rabbids. Like, some people hate the Rabbids. I don't really have anything against them. Have you them. seen their TV show? Well, that's why I don't have anything against them. I only play their games. So if the gameplay's good, if Mario and company don't feel too shoehorned in, potentially it's Maybe good. they hate them because they're responsible for the minions. Well, yeah, that's it. You know, I feel bad for Ubisoft. So they had the Rabbids, and they wanted them to be the next big thing. Like, they had the Nickelodeon show. They had the merchandise. And then DreamWorks was like, hey, what if we took the ears off and made them yellow and had them say banana? And then they made the minions that are literally the Rabbids, but not French. And those blew up, and the Rabbids just kind of fell to the wayside. Like, if nothing else, this seems like Ubisoft's attempt to revitalize the Rabbid brand by piggybacking off Mario. And I wouldn't be surprised if after this comes out, we see new Rabbid games for Switch. I kind of sure about Rayman Legends Definitive Edition will have a Rabbid element. That'll be one of the new things they add, and it'll come out a month or two after this game. Hashira sure bet there'll be a, ra- a Raving Rabbid sequel, like Megan Collection, using the Joy-Cons on the Switch in early 2018. Hashira sure bet this is the start of endless <laughs> rabbit movie <laughs> yeah rabbit the movie rabbit the game rabbit the life you just yeah it'll be everywhere that's my theory 
But of course, that first requires people actually care about this game, which leads to the question of, what do you think? As someone who, like, I have the ties to past games where I've enjoyed them, so I'm in enough to at least try the demo at E3 and see. But, like, you did you ever have anything? Actually, you never really cared about their ads. Like, does this just seem dumb as, like, a Mario game to you? Um, To me, they just, they've always existed. Actually, they've always just existed. I never cared for them one way or another. But then I started to actively dislike them when they took up slots in Ninja Turtles um, Smash Up. Ah, uh, yes. They have five, four, three, four. Yeah, four slots. In a Ninja Turtle game. Yeah. They are not turtles, nor ninjas. Yeah, it's like, you really couldn't think of any other character to use. It's like, nope, it's a regular rabbit, a Ninja Turtle rabbit, Splinter Cell rabbit for some reason. It's like, why? And, I don't know, as far as this game's concerned, um, I, I think I'm just going to wait until I see anything. Yeah. I mean, the fact that rabbits are involved doesn't deter me. But I just like, some, like it does some people, yeah. Just pretty much going to pretend like I haven't heard any of these rumors. And <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to your tweet where you're like, wait, what? Rabbids and Mario uh, together? This is out of left field. <laughs> I sure wouldn't have guessed that. But yeah, I'm I'm cautiously on board, I guess. It's probably the easiest way to put it. Like, I, I do want to see what it's like. But like everything they're describing, minus the fact that the rabbits are literally just the same as the normal Mushroom Kingdom folk, uh, everything else sounds kind of interesting. Like the sci-fi slant gives an excuse for how these worlds collided so that could be interesting strategy rpg that's kind of cool i don't know i have hope we'll see. i would rather have a new advance wars like if nintendo's like yeah we'll do a second strategy series besides well, Fire Emblem, I, game by Chuckle, Chuckle I know Fish, so, i know we so have um, good. yeah the advance wars inspired by what is it called i don't know advanced fights no uh, uh they're, they're so identical it's... uh yeah well they're it's intentional yeah. it's an homage uh but yeah i will play that game plenty for sure by which I mean my usual amount of gameplay, which is two minutes. <laughs> I play more than two minutes, but but yeah, in terms of in terms of E three, to reel this back in a little. I don't know. I don't know if homage oh, is the right word. It's more like a replacement. Than yeah, me. it's like they, saw the, lack, like, they yeah, saw the lack of it. Yeah, because homage is more like oh, like I really love this and I'm inspired by it, so I'm gonna kind of do that, but make it my own. Well, they, but, they have a, a world builder or a stage builder that's new. Advance Wars never did that. Yeah, they made but it. I mean, Wargroove, by the way, is the name of it. Wargroove, yeah, but I mean the stage builder. I mean that's not changing the gameplay it's still like identical in every way you can i know except i guess yeah it's anyway yeah just keep going (laughs) i was gonna say was in terms of e3 nothing against that game just saying that yeah no to you it's it's too close to the source material probably the nice way of putting it yeah which is a good thing for those that have been wanting an advance like me hi i'm jason i've liked advance wars and i've been sad i haven't been able to play it since 2011 you know, you could just take out the game and beat it. That's a big commitment. I just prefer you, saying you, I'm you, sad. You literally have <laughs> hours. I also have of it on 3DS Virtual Console. Advanced Wars that you can still go make through. The original. So if you're hungry for some Advanced Wars, you have hours. And I to never play played through. Days of Ruin. <laughs> I never bought it. Uh, I think it's on Virtual Console too. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna go back to. I'm just gonna. Yeah, advanced, new Advanced Wars <laughs> would be great anyway. So E3. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like a new advance. You could play like the tutorial. No, here's what's weird. And then kind of be done weird. with it. No, okay. First of all, the original. You just want to know you have a new one. I, I, I want to know Nintendo still cares, and I have gotten further in the tutorial in all my Advance Wars. In fact, in the original Advance Wars, I beat back in the day. Also, did you know that game came out on nine eleven? Like literally same year and everything. Kind of a weird choice for nine eleven. I mean, total coincidence, obviously. I know. I'm, I'm sure there were like, like oh, yeah, you know what's gonna happen. We should totally plan for that. No, but um, it's just kind of a weird thing that it came out the same day or the same week. I think um, we're way in the weeds here, so I'm gonna reel it back to E3. In terms of E3, 
What I was going to say is I think Ubisoft trotting out Mario plus Rabbids is kind of going to be a tip of the nice tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, third-party support in general that we see it for Switch at E3. And I mean beyond games we know about. I mean beyond things like Sonic Forces or beyond the rumor we talked last episode about like a surprise of Final Fantasy VII Remake on Switch. I'm talking about new things we haven't yet heard or seen from third parties because fact of the matter is many third parties were caught off guard by Switch's early success. I don't blame them for being caught off guard. I mean, the Wii U bomb, why would they expect it to be much different with Switch? So they're going to be very careful. But now now we're at the point where they're going to be scrambling to get games out. And that means we're either going to get a ton of announcements at E3, or we're going to see very easy-to-port games suddenly on the show floor in demo form for Switch at E3. Remember that Saturday morning pack? Yeah, it's going to be something. Remember, yeah, remember, remember that was such we... a no-brainer on the Switch that even yeah, we you... don't know why we didn't put it? Yeah, well, guess what, guys? Now you can play DuckTales and Chippendale on your switch this fall <laughs> this, yeah six months after the other guys but uh yeah oh, we're, we're, we are already seeing the tide turn though like that sort of announcement i will not I re- if they do that i hope it's like it's available now or something that'd but... be great if they did a like a like a uh be, if they beyonce the saturday morning pack <laughs> it was available for a few weeks ago we just never decided. yeah we just never told you guys but um we are starting to see the tide turn like smart publishers and indies are already just this past week there's like the stay drumbeat of new announcements i mean WayForward confirmed they're bringing Shantae half Genie Hero to Switch with HD Rumble. Um, a puzzle co-op game called Death Squared was confirmed for Switch with exclusive levels. Wii U and 3DS's Plantera is getting an upgraded version for Switch called Plantera DX, and it will be coming stateside with exclusive content. Right now it's only announced for Japan. Saber Interactive, who just put out NBA Playgrounds on Switch, has also confirmed they're now bringing over their <clears throat> Shaq Fu remake for Switch. Like all, This is all in the last week. Like, companies are just pumping out announcements now because they see what Switch is doing, and they're like, oh, there's an audience and, there, and they're thirsty for content. And they must content. realize that by put, since everyone is pumping all their games out for this now, it's just going to make the Switch even more appealing and just yes. snowball it. So yes, it's a They're literally thing. doing what any game developer should be doing and, if they want a console to succeed. And, and the nice thing is major third parties are starting to pick up on this too, and they're following the lead. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of that at E3 as well. Like EA recently told investors just the other day that it's now, quote, bullish about the Switch. And this is the same company who previously said they're planning a game or two. And now they're telling investors, no, 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 we're bullish about it. We're super behind it. I mean, granted, one of those two games that they previously promised is their biggest. It's FIFA. But I'm hoping the bullish thing means that we're going to be seeing a Star Wars game down the line or something else. Maybe a Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 3 on Switch, because that'd be great on Switch with the Splatoon audience. Like, there's opportunities there that now it seems like um, EA's picking up on. And if Nintendo's whole competitive local multiplayer pitch that they're making at their financial briefing becomes reality, you know, with Splatoon 2 and ARMS and whatnot... That could mean EA's going to start bringing over all its sports titles. NBA 2K is coming from 2K. They already got FIFA. If those do well, we could see Switch slowly turn into the must-have sports machine. Yeah, it doesn't have as good graphics, but you play sports games competitively with friends. So Madden, FIFA, NHL, all that would be great on Switch. So I I expect we're going to hear a thing or two from EA about Switch at E3 beyond what we know about FIFA. That's just my hunch. And likewise in Japan... Like, to your point, like, more and more people are, you know, it's going to be a snowball effect. In Japan, Bandai Namco just literally days ago just pledged that they're going to be supporting the Switch with three titles between now and next April. So at their financial briefing, they already, you know, like, oh, yeah, we already have Namco Museum. And then they reconfirmed they're making a new Tales game. They're making a new Taiko Drum Master. And they're making a Dragon Ball Z game 
which is currently called uh, Xenoverse 2, and all of those, all four of those, the three new plus Namco Museum will be out this fiscal year, so by April. So that that's a that's pretty big. Like Tales, Tales of Symphonia, we're going back a few generations, but Tales of Symphonia was like a surprise hit on GameCube. It was a sleeper hit. It did really well. For some reason, the sequel was released on Xbox, for reasons unknown, but it did well. So if they can replicate the success of Tales of Symphonia with a new Tales for Switch and do something, you know, some new unique hook that really works with the Switch audience, that could be huge for them. And personally, at least me, I'm kind of weirdly excited about Taiko Drum Master. Like, I don't, I don't know. I've always been kind of a sucker for Donkey Konga. Like, it's like a secret, secret little uh, a game that I really like. And Drum Master has never come stateside, as far as I'm aware. Maybe on, oh no, I take that back. It was on DS. But I, I never had the opportunity to play it. But if it was on the eShop, American or Japanese, I would consider it if the price is right. Like, I like rhythm games. You like rhythm games. Would you ever, have you ever played Drum Master? I mean, you're a rhythm game guy. Uh, it's too exhausting. Well, well, presumably if you're playing it on Switch, you're not doing anything exhausting. And the most you would have to do maybe is move the Joy-Cons like drums. I feel like drums is the only way to really play it. Otherwise, it's just Elite B agents without the uh, pretty cutscenes. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's tiring. I, I played it a, played a good amount of it, but after, like, two, three levels of just, like, going all out on it, like, I just couldn't play anymore. Well, you were playing, like, the huge drum, right? Like, in the arcade. Yeah, I, I feel like that's, like, the only way I would want to play uh, Taiko Drum Master. Any other way just kind of feels like... Blackluster. It's like, uh, I'll just play another rhythm game. Sure. Because, to me, the hook is the fact that you're playing on a drum. That's so, true. A, a Taiko like, drum in it's which like, you are it's mastering. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play Guitar Hero with a controller. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a fair point. And see, that's why Donkey Konga worked, in my opinion. It was from the Drum Master team, but it had the little DK bongos. And they were ridiculous. And it drove my parents crazy when I was in high school to hear the, like, as I was playing. But it was really fun. Oh, and the best part of when you do the drum rolls at the end. So you're just, and they, by the way, the bongos sound like... I know like, it's annoying, dear, but it's the, keeping the, them entertained. Yes, the, the bongos sound like real bongo. Yeah, my parents are like, ugh, he's, he's how old again? 17, really? But yeah, the drum rolls at the end were just like, ah, so good. And they sound like real bongos, the best. But so I'm hoping one of these Bandai Namco games shows, uh, shows up at E3. I think Tails is probably the best bet. Because Tails has a Western following, but we'll see. Maybe they'll announce it at a later time. Hard to say. But separately from even Bandai Namco, you then got uh, Koei Tecmo, who rhymes with Bandai Namco, uh, also pledging further Switch support now. So recently they confirmed that along with Knights of Azure and uh, Nobunaga's Ambition getting sequels on Switch, and with Fire Emblem Warriors obviously happening because they're working with Nintendo on that, they will have more exclusive Switch games on the way. So we now have three major publishers all committing to really doubling down on Switch. I don't know if we're going to see the Koei Tecmo ones at E3, uh, but it's just another example, because like, they still have these games coming out, but it's just another example of how this trend is turning in Switch's favor. Like, I would be shocked if we don't see publishers at E3 discussing Switch. Like, If we don't see Activision or Take-Two or Sega or any of those guys talking about Switch stuff they haven't talked about before. Sega obviously has Sonic Forces, Activision will probably have Skylanders or something, but we are. I I would not be surprised if Take Two's like, oh hey look, here's a Rockstar game. Bet you never saw that coming. Or like here's Carnival Games, Joy-Con Edition or something. Like they we're gonna see a ramp up similar to what happened in the early Wii days, I'd imagine. And I think the reason's pretty clear as to why. Like I don't even know if I really need to get into this, but like, Switch is a hot commodity. People are buying it and they want to play stuff on it. Like you know those Neo Geo ports. Yes. Yes, by Hamster. They can download from the eShop. I have two of them. Yes, you have helped contribute to the over 200,000 downloads that those have received so far. 
to be clear, these are Neo Geo ports that you can get for free on an emulator, but now you can play on your Switch, and they've sold nearly a quarter of a million of them. That shows there's an interest in the audience in playing some stuff. We've also talked about Super Bomberman R, Super R doing very well for Konami, over half a million worldwide. So people are interested. There are people buying this thing that want to play things on it, and it's not... What's perhaps most weird to me is it's not just, you know, like the typical games you expect. There are some games that are doing better here in the West that you would think would do better in Japan because they're on Switch, or at least because the Switch audience meshes well. For example, uh, Disega 5 Complete in Japan. I thought you pronounced it. I don't know I how thought to it. thought it was Disgea. Disgea, whatever. That game. See, I'm not one of the people that did this, but that game in Japan sold only 20,000 units. In America and Europe, it's already tracking with pre-orders of over 110,000. Now, granted, these are still niche numbers, but you have way more interested people in the West where Nintendo Publishing has usually been weaker, suddenly interested in games that even Japan's own home publishers can't seem to sell in Japan to the Japanese. A lot of games are like the moment you put it portable, they become Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, it's cool, but it's weird. And, and two... And two this year's uh, always been a, like a PSP flourishing game, I remember. Yeah. Or just primarily a PSP game. Yeah, so. it was bigger on, on uh, the other guys, on Sony. And what's interesting is uh, NIS, the publisher, has basically credited Nintendo's co-marketing as part of why it's doing so well. They were saying that, you know, they had on the Nintendo Preview Tour, they had it in Nintendo Directs in the Switch presentation. So I wouldn't be surprised because we're seeing third-party games that don't typically do well doing well, at least within their little niche. I wouldn't be surprised if Nintendo does this more and more with third parties. I bet we're going to see the Nintendo uh, the Switch Spotlight presentation highlight a lot of third-party games. I bet that's the logic behind Mario plus Rabbids happening and the success of like Minecraft on Wii U and now Switch because they integrate Nintendo stuff. Monster Hunter obviously has the crossovers with Nintendo stuff. We're going to see a lot more of that is another thing I think that's going to come out of E3. Um, and if all goes according to plan, if all this momentum with third parties keeps going, uh, then Nintendo has to do one thing to make sure that happens. That's a weirdly worded sentence because I lost my train of thought in the middle. Let me try that again. Nintendo wants this momentum to keep going, and to do that, they want to hit hard, high sales numbers. And that's a point that Tatsumi Kimishima, their president, made during the financial briefings Q&A. So we talked about that financial briefing last episode. Wait, is this the Jason Silver Corner? Nope, not at all. It's one point, one kind, and we're moving on. Because we talked about the financial briefing last episode. The Q&A transcript came out after that episode. And there's one thing he said in there that kind of caught my eye that matches with Nintendo really pushing for third parties by doing partnerships like Mario and Rabbids. And Mario and Rabbids is only one Mario. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I will. And that point is, someone asked him, like, what's up with the 10... Or not what's up, but they asked him about the goal of shipping 10 million Switches this fiscal year, bringing them to the 12.7 that, you know, they'd have by next April, if you add March. Um, and he stressed that it's great, great importance of Nintendo to support it, to get to that number, because it, quote, gives a sense that the future of Nintendo Switch is more promising. And he's saying that under the context of, for other publishers. Nintendo wants to get to 10 million as fast as they can because 10 million seems to be the magic number where publishers permanently stay on. Be it Xbox, be it PlayStation, that's the sweet spot. So if the momentum's strong at E3... Why is that what happened with Sony Like once they reached 10,000? Well, 10 do you million? remember the big deal they made out of 10 million with PS4? Like, it hit it so fast. Like, oh, we, this is... And then, like, from there on, PS4 is, like, the dominant system because it hit 10 million before Xbox One. There's, like, a whole race in the early days of those consoles. So 10 million is, like, a, a, some sort of threshold. And obviously, we event Wii U eventually hit it, but it took four years, so <laughs> three and a half years. So if they can do it within one year, and they already have this momentum from third parties, that momentum's not going to stop. It's going to be like the days of the Wii, 
where third parties were on there for years and only once sales completely dropped off did the third parties back away and even then we were getting just dances on wii for like three years into the wii's life so if nintendo can hit that goal it's gonna happen it we're gonna see good third party support and e3 is kind of the first sign of that support coming to life i think so it's exciting i mean i think a lot of third party games are not even thinking of will make great fits on switch and be cool to see at e3 but probably won't be there overwatch we were talking about that earlier that seems like a shoe in matches splatoon in a lot of ways power wise i don't know if the switch can do it but it'd be cool um rocket league feels like another you know local multiplayer first sort of mentality that would make great sense on switch even hearthstone hearthstone would be a good one are there any others that i'm not thinking of and those seem like the biggies at the moment like local multiplayer huge third-party games oh well i mean or even not like i mean it hasn't even come out on wii u it was supposed to i mean gang beast would be great on switch oh yeah yeah but they you know were... hive jump if they ever get their act together not i, I real i'm saying that really negatively i'm not trying to hive jump they've hit some technical issues it's that multiplayer 2d shoot yeah, thing. That it's not their cool. fault yeah that looked really cool that's supposed to be like the last great indie game on wii u technically it is still the last great indie game on wii u when it comes out but i feel like that'd be good on switch yeah yeah, so so E three is E three is the turn. I'm it almost sounds like I'm putting too much relevance on E three. If the third parties aren't there, it doesn't mean they aren't ever going to be there. But I think the first sign of life will be at E three, which is exciting because it's not just Nintendo at their own booth anymore. It's now what's going on around their booth, which matters again. Give us Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah, that'd be really good actually. Or or even like maybe get Tekken on on a Switch. I mean, they had Tekken on Wii U. Why not just do it? On, they had Tag Tournament too. Just put it on Switch. Yeah. Or WB Games, if you guys have anything that's not Lego, we'll take it too. Like Injustice. Injustice, like Injustice. was on the Wii U. It was, and it did decently on Wii U. With the DLC. Yeah, like there's so many... I mean, so that many, game does look potential. like it's pushing like pixel, like polygons really yeah, hard. which is probably why it's not. Yeah. Or hey, you know what? If Street Fighter can bring an old version with new stuff to Switch, I think there's potential for some sort of crazy retro Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there. Like, there's also... That's the thing about Switch is, like, it's such a new experience. It's such a yeah, new... Yeah, they could totally do, like, the Mortal Kombat arcade and just yeah. do 1, 2, and 3 or exactly. something. Gauntlet. Gauntlet yeah. would be cool. Like, anything that's, like, local or, or anything that has a strong local multiplayer component, if you put it on Switch, I think it's going to do a lot better than if you put it anywhere else for obvious reasons. In theory, reasons, Nintendo so. Land could work, but it would have to force everyone... Like, you can only, you could do multiplayer, but multiplayer only works with multiple Switches. That way you have, you have your own screen. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But like, I I don't know. Like, I think I there's so many potential cool. Like, any sort of any racing game would be great if they did Project Cars. I was supposed to come to Wii U for the longest time. If they did the Project Cars on Switch, that would be cool because it car. You know, we don't have traditional racing yet. Need for Speed would be good too. Like, just everything makes sense on Switch. So I hope we see some cool stuff. <laughs> everything, everything, everything. Yeah, give us some horror games already. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's already rumors about so. I wouldn't count a Resident Evil 7 coming to Switch, just saying. But that's I mean, all I'm say on that. But I, think... I mean, like, I love um, Zombie U, but that's like, I yeah. feel that's like the only thing we got besides Resident Evil Revelations. But yeah. our Dude, a new Revelations is a possibility, but Resident Evil 7, After I Revelations don't 2, think I don't it's know. happening. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. But um, no, I, I Revenant, Rev, Revelations 3, just give us a new one. Yeah. Or like do a Resident Evil 4 style thing. I don't know. Like do like a spinoff, that style. Anyway, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of cool things that's happening. E3 is super exciting this year, not just for Nintendo, I think, but because of the third-party potential. Um, the one final thing I want to say about E3, though, is it not just for Nintendo is an interesting year, but for the show, it's an interesting year. 
This is the first year E3 is a consumer show. Up until now, it's been strictly trade, so only people related to the industry. But now it's competing with the likes of Comic-Con and PAX and all and New York Comic-Con and all that. And that means there are changes that are happening. So now, it, so far, it seems like an underwhelming but more expensive Comic-Con. But the, And that's the thing. is like they're going to have to grow into this because yeah. right now what you're getting for $250, oh, as God. of a week ago, is um, extra long lines and crowds and uh, really tired feet. And some gameplay. And expensive food, I guess. And expensive food. If you're not willing to but track. There isn't really many food places to eat around the convention center like no, there is around trucks. San Diego. Yeah, it's just food trucks. But, yeah. uh, well, you come to learn to eat. You're better off, as I know from personal experience, you're better off eating at E3 in the dining area, not too far from Nintendo's booth, because you'll be sitting there enjoying your sandwich, and there's Kimishima walking in front of you, and then you get to meet Kimishima, or there's Reggie. Like, that's how I met these people last year. I just happened to be getting lunch there because I was basically living at Nintendo's booth for the three days, and it worked out. But now my plan won't work because all these people that are going this year I couldn't go before know what to do. Regardless, um, the thing I wanted to bring up is they are including one thing that makes a big difference towards moving it E3 towards the consumer direction in a positive way, and that is panels. They are doing panels this year. Jeff Keighley announced that he, for the first two days of the show, will be hosting what they're calling the E3 Coliseum. It's going to be a series of panels and presentations with game developers and various entertainment industry folk who are related to gaming. It's open to everyone with tickets to E3. They'll prioritize the fans and the industry folk over the press, so it's really for the fans. It's a consumer-facing thing. And so far, they've got Activision, Bethesda, Gearbox, Sony, Square Enix, Ubisoft, Warner Brothers, Xbox, all on board. No word on Nintendo yet, but... But, 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 I tweeted about this. I said, oh, this is a re- panels are really cool. I hope Jeff Keighley does one with Reggie. And then Jeff Keighley liked it, which means about two, like the tweet, which means about two things. Either he likes that I think it's cool, or he's hinting that it's Reggie. Okay, three things. Or he's toying with my emotions. One of those three. And I'm hoping it's the Reggie thing is happening. But even if it doesn't, like, the panels could be really cool. There could be some interesting Nintendo-related things at the panels. No word on if they're live-streamed. But if you're at E3, keep an eye on the panel schedule. It'll probably come out before E3, actually. And, you know, like, I'm planning to try to go at least one or two. So we shall see. But um, And and honestly, like, the thing about panels is I don't know. Like, we're used to conventions because we have so many around here in SoCal. Like, we have WonderCon, Comic-Con, PAX, or not PAX, WonderCon, Comic-Con, E3. Anime Expo. Anime Expo. Like, we're used to panels. We've been to a fair number of them over the years. But for people who don't go to conventions... Panels are just really neat. Like, I know everyone knows what a panel is, but you don't really appreciate it to your day. Like, it, it's neat in that it's not just them spewing a press release to you. It's like an hour-long thing where they're actually talking about it and answering questions and talking about the experience of doing it, not just what it is that they're doing, be it a TV show, a movie, a game. Like, Nintendo has some experience with this. They did um, Hyrule Warriors Legends at WonderCon. They've done, I believe, Dragon Quest at PAX with Square Enix's help. Obviously, they had the Breath of the Wild one at GDC where they showed that 2D Breath of the Wild prototype. And I've watched as Nintendo keeps doing these panels that they slowly realize what they actually are. The original Warriors panel for uh, Hyrule Legend, uh, Hyrule Warrior Legends, was kind was of like it was. It was at a WonderCon, Wonder. and it was kind of like they're reading presses. Like they had prepared notes because Nintendo wants them to stay on on point, but it was a little like shallow at times. Which is, under, I mean, there's the language barrier because they're Japanese developers, and you know Nintendo want to get certain points across. But then if you look at that and then compare it to like the Breath of the Wild GDC panel that just happened last month, which is two years later, Nintendo gets it now. They really get it. So I'm hoping like they are going in depth. They're sharing more things. Nintendo just in general is more open. So I'm hoping that bodes well for um, E3 and the E3 Coliseum that Nintendo goes there and does some interesting stuff. But we shall see. 
something to keep an eye on though for everyone that's into into the E3 scene or is going to E3. Um, and with that, I think we're pretty much on to the games of the episode, starting with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So I think the very first thing to note about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe before we get to what we actually think about and why you hate it, strong words that aren't exactly true, um, is this Definitely thing, not true. Yeah, I know it's not true. I'm just... Yeah. This thing is doing gangbusters. Mario Kart 8 is doing great. In one day... Here's your Jason sales card. In one day, it became the fastest-selling Mario Kart game ever in North America. 459,000 units in a single day. That outpaces the previous record by Mario Kart Wii, which, just as a reminder, came out during the peak Wii period. Not the early days like the Switch edition here. This was like... Mario Kart Wii was at ultimate Wii height. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is at the start of the Switch. And that means that this thing is probably going to be one of the biggest evergreen tiles ever for Nintendo. Because already, in one day, 45% of American Switch owners own the game. Nearly half own the game in a single day. And on top of that, in the week since, when you tie up the worldwide numbers, the game has already moved over a million units worldwide in a week. And with Mario Kart, it's a unique thing in that in that it always sells well. Mario Kart 7 is still, as we talked about last episode, moved another 2 million units on 3DS this last fiscal year, which is, what, two, three years, four years after it debuted? So imagine the legs that Deluxe is going to have with Switch. This thing is going to be something people buy with their Switch forever. It's going to be huge, and that's great for Nintendo. I mean, it makes sense that it's doing that well. Like, us Wii U owners, we know and love Mario Kart 8. We've had it for a few years. But there's this huge new audience for the game that's now appealing to it, the Switch. And that's why, as I think we covered last episode, that's why there's, like, you know, the massive Target promotion, the McDonald's toys, the Switch contest at McDonald's. Nintendo's treating it like a brand new game because, for the majority of people, it is a brand new game. Like, did you know something like 50% of PS4 owners never played Uncharted? And that's why they brought over the HD, the, like, remastered Uncharted from PS3? Hmm. Like, even that game, which was huge on PS3 on a system that sold way more than um you know wii u ever sold even then half of the people that tried uncharted were new to the franchise and then obviously stayed on board with uncharted 4 etc etc so if nintendo like mimics that with uh mario kart they're they're gonna be great so so that's that's nice to see that's two hits in a row for nintendo on switch and the thing is at least in my opinion uh they added just enough to deluxe to uh deluxe to make the double dip kind of worth it for those who did buy the original wii u version i mean you've got they've got a lot of us double dipping both of us double dipped but for every edition of a new yeah and for every edition of a new character or a new battle mode there's all these little nips and tucks they made that just make the experience better like they went on their own sell it but like the hd rumble the way that revs as you start a race that just feels cool or like it is true 1080p now at 60 frames per second opposed to 59 which you don't really know so it just when you're playing it like in portable it just feels really good or like there's now the third boost level there's now the ability to change your cart in the online lobby you don't have to exit like all these little things even the addition of smart steering so like if you're a parent with a small child or you have a younger sibling and you want to be on the even playing field when playing them you can now like it is kind of annoying things, that they're not off by default it should yeah. be off by default but the fact that it's there yeah, is really cool and again they won't on their own get you to buy the game but if you couple those with the fact that you may know anecdotally i certainly do it's almost triple if you may know more people with switches than we use your online circle for playing Mario Kart is just that much bigger. There's a new battle mode. There's new characters, new vehicles. If you never bought the DLC, that's all in there. Like, it's a really good package. It's basically the ultimate Mario Kart What's up, the fact that a few people in your circle might be new to Mario Kart 8? Yeah. So playing with them for the first time is a nice little experience. Right, like you did that with a friend of ours the other night. Yeah. So, like, overall, 
this is the ultimate Mario Kart. So if you're looking for the ultimate Mario Kart, I get why it's selling that well. As I now know from playing for two weeks, this is the best you can get with Mario Kart. Now, of course, the flip side of that is if you have any problem with Mario Kart, this is the ultimate package of that problem, which is kind of where your Fast and Furious comes in, right? Because I feel like this game sort of awoke something in you <laughs> about Mario Kart. So I don't yeah, know if you want to walk I mean, people but... through your whole... Because there's like a whole story arc. If you like... If you got phone calls from this guy over the last couple of weeks, it's like it started at one point and then there's like a climax and then there's a conclusion. Yeah, I, I know like I've definitely brought up parts of it in the podcast in the past. Yeah. But I mean, in a nutshell, because I can't assume that. Yeah, no, go start at the beginning, honestly, like because it all ties together. I feel yeah. Like. So I guess before. Yeah, actually, yeah, this is um, it starts with Mario Kart DS. That game, I feel of all the Mario Karts was the most um, like had the biggest learning curve as far as, like, easy to play, hard to master. Like, it, once you got the mechanics down, that game was, like, the ultimate, like, skill and test when it comes to Mario Kart. Like, drifting was still something yeah, you had to know how to do. Yeah, right. like, drifting, snaking, getting your boost just right. It was pretty much, like, if you want to, like, your thumbs were, like, pretty much dying by the end. And I'm sure that's not the ideal way to play it, but, like, when you won, it was because, like, yeah, like, I deserved that. When you lost, it was literally because, like, oh, okay, yeah, I... I didn't get that turn right. That was on me. Yeah. Like, items were kind of irrelevant at those speeds when you were playing against people, like, that close to each other. Mm -hmm. And there was also no boo. But, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a thing that... I mean, yeah, oh, I'll get to that later. And then the Wii version introduced motorcycles, which I felt um, were actually a really cool addition because it introduced another layer to the game. There was... If anything, I felt that if you didn't use a motorcycle, you were pretty much setting yourself up to lose because the way you pop the wheelies, the way they drift... I'm just gonna chime in. I beat you with a cart when you were on a motorcycle. So, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> granted, one... we may have been drinking before we played, but I did. I mean, and one... I hold it close to my heart every day since. I mean, I won win. Yeah. I mean, I'm always I'm always talking about overall. You can't use one. Well, I only have the one, so I hold it I know, very yeah, dear. So anyway, you do what you gotta do. Yep. <laughs> and um, yeah, like that game, I also felt was pretty was pretty fun as far as like you can get good at it and you get reward for it. This game, I don't know, like. I love it, and I definitely recommend it in a heartbeat to anybody, but I guess I've just been playing it wrong, or I've had... Uh, yeah, I definitely have been, and I have the wrong... And I had the wrong mentality for this game. Because I guess Mario Kart, whenever I just saw it, I always saw it as like, oh, it's a game that is fun to play with friends, but you can also get really good at it, and... Because that's what you've been conditioned into thinking from DS yeah, and pretty much, Yeah. And what where'd 7 rank in that? Because 7 is the first one they took out the... Or, well, I guess Wii was the first one they simplified 7 drifting. was... Yeah, it was kind of kind of the same thing as this one, mm. um, except slightly better, less chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, this one definitely... Well, you only had eight racers, so that's probably part of it. Yeah, and also just going to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, now you have two items. So basically, um, yeah, I guess when you play this game, I guess once you've mastered all the tracks, you learn the drifting, everything. Um, obviously, you want to get to that point where everyone you're fighting is in is at that level and you're like all right cool pretty much we're going to be it's going to be a close race the whole time it's going to be like last minute split second decisions who took that turn right who did everything right but at the end of the day like none of that matters like the better you are at the game and the more and the closer you are to everyone else the less your skill matters which is just like a real bummer it's almost like a it's a reverse um um cause and effect i guess or i, I forgot what i'm trying to get at but yeah, pretty much the better you are at the game, the less your skill matters. So, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's weird how that works because it really just comes down to the the role of the of the items. 
Like, you could be doing excellent. Like, I've done races where I've been first place the whole time. I have my super horn and my green shot. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm sitting pretty. I just have to make sure I don't mess up these turns and it should be fine. Oh, boo comes out. All right. I still have my backup item. Oh, another mm-hmm. boo comes along. Oh, now the blue shell comes out. And sure, that's like every marker story ever, but I don't know, especially when you're playing alone, because I, I like mean, online or yeah, computer? online. Mm. And I'm always just talk- mainly talking about online. Yeah. Because I play my games pretty frequently, like, and I want to play them like online because I just like to compete with the people. I, I'm competitive by nature, so when you're playing and that stuff happens like way more often than you would want it to, you just feel really cheated on your losses. Like none of the every time you lose, at least at that level, because I assume that everyone that I'm racing like knows what they're doing. They're all doing their drifts perfectly and everything. But when you lose, like it just doesn't feel good to lose. And unlike Smash Brothers or other competitive games, losing feels fine or sometimes good. It's like, oh, okay, like you understand why you lost. Mm-hmm. But Mario Kart is like, nope, you you just you're not winning this race. Like the game just decides who wins. It's like who's going to be in first place the whole time. And just I will say, and I've it, heard you curse more at this game than any other video game I've ever heard. Oh, like heard you play on and, the phone or anything. And it's just so frustrating, just because with the double items at first, I thought like, all right, more chances to be to get defensive options. You're going to get to block shells. You're going to get to block bananas more often because you get double chances. But all that really meant, at least in my experience, because obviously this is all my perspective, just how I feel about the game. Mm-hmm. I've gotten so many double coins. I didn't even know that was possible. I remember before the game came out, some venues were saying like, oh, if as long as you get the double item block, you're guaranteed to get one defensive item. Like I've never seen the double item, the double coin, or they think it's not a yeah. thing. And I'm, like, a thing. I, and I'm like, oh, that's cool because they even place the double item blocks on the least convenient part of a turn so that you're kind of forced to take longer routes to kind of give people a chance to catch up. Yeah. But that's like a, that's like a give and take. You want to get a defensive item so you can stay alive, but they're getting a chance to catch up. I'm perfectly okay with that. Or you mm-hmm. can risk it and get a just one item. But double coins are still a thing. So now it's like I'm taking the longer route and getting punished by letting people catch up, but now I'm getting double coins, which is another punishment. So it's Here's... like you're, you're punished no matter what. And then that's when I realized, and I'm like, wow, I've been looking at Mario Kart all wrong. Mario Kart is just Mario Party. Like, Yeah, you, you it, could... it's Mario Party on wheels, yeah. now that you mention it. And the only reason I never saw that was just because Mario Kart always kind of front-loads itself with like, oh, it's a racing game, and racing games are automatically competitive yeah mario party it's a party game i automatically think i'm just gonna like um goof off with my friends just have fun whatever happens happens but because i'm competitive by nature in mario party i always love to master the mini games mm-hmm. so whenever the mini games came up i was like oh, okay i need to get that the best and sometimes i'll usually win most of them but at the end of the day the dice world dictates the game mm-hmm. get my star stolen nothing i could do about it i could do perfect on other mini games, but I still lose. But you get that mini game but, at the end. <laughs> but I'm not as bothered by it. It's like that's just Mario Party yeah. for you. But in Mario Kart, it's like yeah, you, I mean you could get Mario Karted, but it just happens when I guess you're already two in the zone. You just want to win, but you lose because it's unfair and you know because you know it's Mario Party. Your, you know what's like it's literally Mario just Party Mario Party comparison is that your whole the double item thing. I think like honestly, I think that's why you didn't realize. I think it took Deluxe's double item to make you realize all this. Because the double item, the item system in general, because you make a really good point about Mario Party that I, I don't think very many people consider. I never thought it to be brought up, but the the item system is the dice roll of Mario Kart. Yeah. So what happens when you have the double dice roll is exponentially the odds grow. So in the original, like I feel like in the original Mario Kart, you got frustrated. I remember that, but you did not. 
I did not hear you curse out the game as much as I heard with this one. You didn't vent as much about it. And I think part of that's because in the original Mario Kart 8, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of just guessing, theorizing, if you were in first, you could kind of hold on to first in the original Mario Kart 8. Yeah. Yes, there would be blue shells. And you still yes, kind of can in this one, but definitely... It's, it's, a lot harder yeah, it's a lot harder. Because like you could you could hold on because you know you could keep collecting coins. If you get hit by an item, that will put you back up at your max speed. You know, Go back up to 10, 10 coins. You can hold an item behind you just fine. That was it. That the item would take care of anything that's not a blue shell. The blue shell will hit you once every so often, and for nine out of ten races, it was still a bit of a skill thing, somewhat. But with the double item system, technically, as you point out, you'll get two coins, or you'll get one item that can block someone, and then a coin. You can even get two items that block things right. and but, get them both taken away. But yeah, that could happen with the boo, or while that's happening with the boo, you could get hit by both items or someone else, or if someone got two sets of three red shells. That has six items coming your way at once, and now expand that yeah. to 11 other and then there's racers. also lightning that just hits everybody and yeah. you just lose your items instantly and while all that's happening expand the fact that any of those odds of any of that happening are now doubled for 11 racers and you have such an exponentially growing number of obstacles in your way that prevent you from having any level of skill to beat the game or the race that it's just like not in your favor at all so if you go into mario kart thinking it's competitive like you did You're it's, so the eyes <laughs> are the odds are so much higher for you losing than winning that you just you're gonna your head will explode which is basically what happened with you yeah, and on the phone but if you go in going it's random and those are dice rolls and that's Mario Party dice rolling I'm doing then it's like the perfect embodiment of what this party style of Mario Kart is yeah, and to and to be fair um Mario Kart considers I guess beating more than half of the total players winning because you get points added to your experience yeah but I mean, I guess, like, obviously, like, everyone's gunning for first place. If I don't get first place, I usually consider that just as a loss. But Me too. E- but even I'd be okay with getting, like, third or fourth online because, I mean, it's you're playing with people on your, like, that are pretty much on your level because it pairs you with that, mm-hmm. with that skill point count. But this game, like, the double item just to, like, expand on what you just said. Yeah. Like, not only does it make it harder to keep first place, but I would say, like, sometimes more often than not, um, first place is kind of getting bombarded almost as much as like the center of the pack. Yeah. Because there's always one person, like that person that can that can get that boost in the beginning and just get out of there past the first item, the sets of items. Mm-hmm. They're almost golden, I would say, a lot of the time just because that middle of the pack is just killing them. So they're just nuking themselves over and over yeah. again twice as much. Yeah. Which just means that the middle of the pack is just getting further away from whoever's in first or second or whatever. The, the key strategy in the original Mario Kart 8 was always boost correctly, collect as many coins as you can right away, and then coast off that max velo- uh, max speed and occasionally dodge items and maybe... Hit yeah, like usually... Which, and that was it. It was... It yeah, because usually simple. you're so far ahead, but... Which also kind of sucks in a way, just because, I mean, that would also kind of make it boring. You're so far ahead of that, no one can do anything. Like, right. th- there's no real challenge at that point either. This does either. add but, more dynamics to yeah, it. No like, like, I mean, at least it keeps people closer to you, but at the same time, like... If you start in sixth or seventh place on a race that you're like already in the middle of the pack and everyone and you're racing people that get the boost every time. Yeah. So when you get to that first item block, sometimes you might not even get an item because there's so many people, you just don't get one. Right. And if you do get one, you're already getting hit by everyone else. So you're like at tenth or eleventh place. And just clawing yourself back up from there, like you're definitely not gonna get first at that point. Like it's You'd be surprised. I've gone from eleventh to first a couple times online. Well, I mean, in the 2000 yeah, yeah. ranks? I mean, oh, I, in, in 200 CC? Yeah, no. No, no, because... Oh, 2000 rank. Yeah, no. Yeah, because, like, by I'm the end... I'm at the, like, hey, I just, I just barely got good at this By rank. the end of Markard <laughs> 8, or, like, I think the first few months of playing it, I think I was already, uh, like, 9,999 rank. Right. 
And like I maxed it out, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just wait for them to patch it. And then they eventually did so you could go beyond 9999. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get to that rank again, but man, it's so. You know tough. what blows my mind about this? The items, the double items were going to be a minor thing. We talked about battle mode. We talked about new characters. We talked about the lack of new tracks. We talked about everything else, new vehicles. But no one at all, us or otherwise, paid any attention to the double items. Like, oh, that's neat. It's like, oh, a third boost? That's cool. So are double items, I guess. But double items had the biggest impact on the meta game of Mario Kart compared to anything else they've ever yeah. done since probably um, they switched uh, drifting to automatic. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's insane if you think about it. I mean, and... It's still incredibly fun, but it's, for yeah, me. And, but it's insane that and not that, that, that I a got, I, like that. And now that I'm thinking of Mario Kart, it's literally just Mario Party. The double item thing just... Adds to it. Yeah, it just amplifies their initial goal. It's just a crazy party game, and they made it crazier, which is perfectly fine. I just have to let go of this game as a competitive game and yep. just when I play just be like, alright I'll get whatever place I get as long as I'm getting a positive number which could be like 7th place and above basically right, right. The, the funny thing about that though is you have the right mentality when we do local multiplayer it's when you're playing I feel like, like when we're playing against each other we have some people over or whatever you know at your place here or whatever you've never gotten so frustrated with Mark you're just like yep that's just the way the cookie crumbs that's how the items worked out it's like it's that split of online oh, and yeah, local. Yeah. It's when interesting I'm, to yeah, see. When I'm not playing with friends or anyone that yeah. I know, my mind just goes straight. Like, Because, I mean, I can't share the loss with anyone. I can't share the victory with anyone. It's, yeah. it's all, it just becomes a personal experience. But yeah. In which even, case you go into competitive, hyper-competitive. Yeah, even, if I, even if I'm playing online and you have one friend in that same lobby, I could take losses a lot better because at that point it's like, I don't know, you're just kind of having fun with your friend. I'm able to just disconnect yeah. myself like, oh, I'm just playing a game now. Like, if I get 12, like, haha. That's Mario Kart. Oh, what a jerk that Mario Kart is. But You just went full Rick and Morty on us just now. That was oh. very channeling <laughs> Morty. I don't know why. Not the voice, just the, the inf- uh, inflection you were oh. using. But yeah, so... Yeah, that's why I guess I love Mario Kart as a multiplayer game, but that's why I guess as a single online multiplayer game, I guess... Yeah. I, I just have to... Yeah, I have to change my pers- I have to change my perspective in order to enjoy it. You know what's funny about what you just said? Because it really sucks to... I guess want to have this competitive drive on again that you don't that doesn't exist. Yeah, because I mean that game is so fun. Like I love I love the competitive side of it if it but at the same time it just sucks that it doesn't let love you, you back. get there. Doesn't love you back. It's kinda like Smash Bros. like that game, like, oh let, we're letting you have your one on ones, but we're not gonna give you a way to play against anyone ranked. So it's like, oh, so it means nothing at the end. Yeah. It's like Nintendo does a good job of give like half giving you something but then making it worthless one step forward two step back like in mario kart like they give you the infrastructure and the controls to make a really good competitive racing game but they just made it mario party mode now they're they they're, did what sakurai couldn't i guess yeah yeah and then sakurai Twice. did what nintendo what mario kart couldn't and now you have two halves but then, no they, did, but then they give you the ranking <laughs> yeah. system that mario kart had you, you made it in- yeah or go ahead finish no, so like that's why um that's why i find mario and sonic also has recently transformed way that's why I personally find it way more superior than Mario Kart. For me, mm-hmm. personally, the way mm-hmm. I feel about those games. Because that game, everything about it just feels so balanced. All the items feel so balanced. Like, there's their blue show equivalent pretty much creates an obstacle course for first place to go through. Which slows them down, but, like, they can get past it with, like, it was enough skill. Their red shells have, like, a little built-in sort of mini game of, like, trying to outmaneuver it so that it can, like, go past you and get the next person. Right. Like... And then also their trick system, kind of like how Mario Kart, after every jump, you just put the jump button. Yeah. And you do a trick. Sonic and Stars has a kind of a risk-reward version of it where after every ramp, you could try to do a trick, like flips, jumps, like barrel rolls or whatever. Sure. 
but if you the more you do in the air the bigger the boost you get but if you happen to miss land or land wire like upside down or something yeah. you lose all that boost and you actually get slowed down that's honestly something i wish they did in mario kart and not like to, the trick system doesn't accomplish anything yeah it's just pretty much like oh now it's just something that if i don't do i'm automatically gonna yeah, lose exactly and then their drift system i also like better how you could like change the direction of your drifting while keeping your drift hmm. like because in this one like if you let go you do your boost so you have to like let go of the gas at least they the got rid of fire hopping like yeah, I mean, fire hopping in, in some levels a skill thing that kind of almost addresses your point about it's not skill, but, yeah, but it's also like, I mean, because that, kind of that, be that was also that was also that was also a risk reward thing. Because yeah. I mean, to me it made sense logically. Like, oh, you spend less time in the air. I mean, you spend less time on the ground, so you're not as slow yeah. down. Blah blah blah. Because it also made it harder to turn, so you had to figure out exactly right. when to start it and when to stop it. Otherwise, you're just gonna careen off the floor. By the way, that toy uh, is a good example of how differently we approach Mario Park. So I'm like, oh, I'm glad it's gone. You're like. It was skill based. I liked it, <laughs> yeah. but again, it's a competitive versus and then, uh, more casual. And on top of that, like Sonic's, um, the three, the three transformations, like the flying, the ground. I mean, the flying, the boat, and the car just all mm-hmm. felt so different, different, <laughs> different. So different. And the physics just felt so fun. Like right. the boat felt like a boat. Like get to like figure out like when to take a right way because once you get in the air, you can't turn whatsoever. And <sighs> just so great. And then also like those. Character specific ultras, like the things they had in Mario Kart Double Dash, where Mario had the yeah, I missed those. The, where only he had the fireballs, or the babies had the chain chomp, or mm-hmm. Bowser had the super giant shell that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that's all gone, but Mario and Sonic found a way to keep them while still not making them broken. They're pretty much your star, but but they're each yeah. different. Yeah, there was something you said like five minutes ago that kind of like I made like a but that game note. is also like I can't really play that game with my friends because it's so balanced. I'm pretty much just going to be in first place, and it's just yeah. not going to be fun for everybody. Yeah, it's the other side of the coin. Yeah, this which issue. is why I like Mario Kart because I could play with that with any skill, any skilled friend, any level yeah. of skilled friends. And, and now with toddlers, thanks to smart steering. Yeah, although you should be able to turn it off at the front. Um, it's good you brought it back to friends because that's something that like I kind of bookmarked when you said when you're like talking like oh I want to go back to that. You made an interesting comment about like. I don't have this issue when playing online with friends, only when playing online with strangers. And I wonder how much of Nintendo's on... Like, I wonder if that mindset of, like, I want the local friend experience, like, the local multiplayer experience online, how much of that do you think Nintendo is dictating Nintendo's decisions with their upcoming online service? Because if you think it's, about it, it starts to make sense. Because right? I mean, one like of the hardest scheduling, things are, yeah, because scheduling like, times to play through the app. Is yeah, because no I don't know when does. people are free. It'd be nice if yeah. I could just like send them like, oh, just tell me the next time you're free, we'll play that, and then just bam, it's already set. Yeah, instead like, of just the fact that yeah. that is the core like selling point they keep regurgitating about online until they properly unveil it. Which, by the way, I now realize they're probably gonna show it at E3 a little, but like um, that's something we didn't even predict. But I'm sure it's gonna be there. But that to me could be it's like nintendo's literally taking the local multiplayer experience and sticking it online they're not trying to do like oh you could play with friends online but online's this thing they're going what if you and a friend are a little further away how would you navigate a meet like how would you normally meet up to play video games and let's just do that digitally which ultimately you could argue xbox lives about that psn's about that but i think nintendo's trying to really go straight after that idea not just like play anyone or people you know but it's the same experience they're saying no 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 if you're playing online if you're playing with people you know if you're playing with people you know you usually set a time and a place and you usually do it in advance and then you go which is a totally different mindset for online that most companies don't think about so I'm, I'm curious to see if like if Mario Kart online with with that system will be you know more will pull you away from this competitive confusion yeah i mean if i'm always playing with a friend yeah. i feel like i would definitely rage a lot less yeah but. like but like that or like arms will it work like that with arms will it work like that with splatoon like it's i'm curious to see 
but that's yeah how much their local competitive multiplayer that they're selling across all their games how much of that is properly relayed or parlayed into their online app and online service but that that's just kind of a side note to what you were saying it's just when you said that i'm like oh my god that's nintendo that's it right there that's what nintendo's doing and that's why they're doing the whole smartphone thing you communicate with your friends with a smartphone when you walk over to a friend's house you text them or you call them so if you're mimicking that but using the internet in theory from nintendo's logic you call them or you text them from your smartphone hence voice chat and scheduling and text chat all being in the app it kind of makes sense it's a i don't know if the metaphor is fully there for them but that seems to be what they're angling at so we'll, we'll see how that goes but you're saying you're saying something else in there no, oh that was it i will say metagame aside how you view mario kart aside this is a good mario kart like if you're, oh, if yeah, you're it's, on board it's with it's mario kart the best this one. is the mario kart and like we didn't even touch on battle mode. amazing music amazing the battle. attention to detail is so great the graphics are so great battle mode not as fun as I thought it would be. I'm enjoying it, but it feels like for everything they did right, they did something also kind of stages, weird. Some, some of the stages are too big. Well, a few Way stages too. are a little big. Um, I think Renegade Roundup is incredibly fun. Fun. That's the new mode. That's where so basically you some people have piranha plants, you're chasing others, and then the little light goes off, and then you go in jail if you get caught by the piranha plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that one's actually really fun. But yet. For that, which they do right, they then do Balloon Bow with Respawning, which still doesn't feel right to me. They do Shine Thief, which is incredibly fun, but then they, for some reason, make the Shine way heavier than it's ever been, so you're going way slower. Which I get they're trying to get you to more mix up who has the Shine, but it kind of dampens the... It doesn't make it, it, a, it, 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 doesn't make it a fun... It's like as soon as yeah. you get the Shine, it's not really fun to play anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like going that slow, it's like, oh, this is good. But no, it is fun. But you know, at the same time, like, it could also keep it from being a broken game right and and here's what's fun about shine thief when you get a feather item and you jump over the person with the shine and you get their shine in mid-air that's the most satisfying thing i've done in mario kart in like ever it is so cool it like it's such a minor thing but like it's so great i wish i wish battle mode had they do they have replays in battle mode in fact they don't i don't think i wish mario kart tv worked in battle mode because i would take a video of me doing that hop for the shine and it would just be like everywhere i would have it everywhere it would i wake up to it i go to sleep to it like it is so satisfying but yeah like so battle mode overall i feel like it also runs into your competitive problem probably right like or do you not have that issue because it's already so random to begin with like do you ever competitively look at battle mode like you go online and be like i should be good at this if i have skill or is it so far out the window because the stages are big and the items are so random that you never even i considered it. it but i don't know i guess i just find racing so much more fun that I feel like I'd just right. rather invest any time that I have into that. Well, you've always been more about racing than battle mode, right? Yeah. Yeah, because for me, I used to love battle mode on Mario Kart 64, so I'm enjoying it online in this one, and I think this is a significant, significant improvement over the original Mario Kart 8's, um, whatever you want to call that battle mode that wasn't battle mode, like shut down half a track and then just zip at each other from far away. Like, that was that one was not battle mode. This is at least battle mode's return to form, but it does seem like I wish they would just go back to basics a little. I wish they would not have you respawn. I wish they wouldn't make it so like all inclusive. Like I get you have smart steering, you want kids smart whatever to be more mm-hmm. comfortable with it. Back but to their whole item. Just be a little more crazier. aggressive They're with like, your games. Like you're not playing this game to win. You're literally just playing because you want to have fun, which is fine. Right. Which yeah, it fits in with the item. But it, it fits yeah, in with it the just means that yeah, it just means my mentality was just wrong. It's well, it's like my mentality for battle mode, apparently. Because I'm like, no, 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 you die. When you blow up, when you lose your balloons, you are dead. And Nintendo's like, no. It's funny. It's, it's just not because about life or death. It's, always, it's about good times. It's funny. It's just, 
Mario Kart's always kind of been like that, except that in prior games, we found these exploits that they didn't realize, yeah. which pretty much turned it competitive. But now that they have full control of it, they're like, this is how we've always wanted it to be, and this is how it's going to be. And honestly... It'd be like if Sakurai never let us turn off items, basically. Right. And honestly... That's, which that's is a fine. really good comparison. Because at that point, I would that's just have really to accept that, like, Smash Brothers has this competitive side of it, but because we can never do yeah. anything about the items, I'm going to have to live with it. But yeah. I don't have to, sort of. Right. <laughs> and I was going to say, honestly, like, nine times out of ten, for my Mario Kart experience, this is what I was looking for. This is great. But if you're coming into it like you are, I could see that being an issue. But, you know, there's one thing... But luckily, it's an issue I can easily overlook, especially now that we have, like, a bunch of friends that have it, which is great. Right, right. Yeah, because for local multiplayer, this is the best. And the fact that it comes with, like, an eight-player land mode, which we'll never do because we got this wirelessly play. But the fact that it comes with that is, like, really cool as well. And the, the thing we, we... I feel like I want to stress before we wrap up Mario Kart, unless there's anything else you're going to say, is we haven't talked about this whatsoever, but we are playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Portable. We are taking... We are playing a game portably, I mean. We have a game that its predecessor was Mario Kart 7 on the 3DS. You were playing it on a 240p screen. It's super low res. It's super janky and if you think about it. I mean, the 3D was cool, but like compared to 1080p... Or no, sorry, I'm horrible. It's 720p, 60 frames per second, gorgeous animation, looks like a Pixar movie, and you can pluck that off your TV and walk outside and play this gorgeous, crazy Mario Kart anywhere is kind of insane when two years ago the best you got was mario kart 7 which in and of itself is a good game the 3d was cool it looked pretty nice for 3d graph 3ds graphics but like that jump is huge and it's also because it's portable and it's on switch i would argue this is the most multiplayer like easy to set up multiplayer accessible mario kart there's ever been like the fastest you jump into because i can come over with my switch to someone's house and just be like you want to play mario kart they're like, uh, sure. And then, boom, there's two controllers right there. We are playing a minute later. Like, it requires no effort. It requires no bringing a controller, having a controller, getting a controller. It's just, you go. It's great. Like, granted, the single Joy-Con controls only work if you're playing for, like, 20, 25 minutes, and then your hands start hurting. And even then, they're a little wonky if you have, like, the wrong Joy-Con with the stick too far. But... Like, when else has Mario Kart ever been able to do that? That's crazy if you think about it. Like, imagine Smash Bros. one day. You're like, hey, you want to play a Smash Bros. game? Sure. And you just pull out your Switch. You're like, all right, here you go. And you're just, like, sitting on bus. And then and you're, you're just playing like, a second later. And then you're just like, oh, never mind. I'd rather use a normal controller. Yeah, and then you throw the Switch <laughs> out the window. And then some homeless guy finds it and sells it and gets a whole bunch of McDonald's and feeds himself for next week, which would be a great tale to save a guy's life. I should have with everything Smash. He'd probably <laughs> be propping it up and using his own Genki controller anyway. Yeah, yeah, but but oh, cool. my, I already got my own controller. <laughs> yeah, you just carry a controller with you just in case someone with a switch is like, "Hey, you want to play Smashers?" You're like, "Boy, do I!" And you pull out a pro anyway, controller. You never know when you have to settle it in Smash. That's true. Yeah, you do. I mean, the ads show them on buses. So, but no, just like the fact that Mario Kart's able to do this now is really cool, and it's such a high production value Mario Kart. Like that still kind of blows my mind. And it's not. It shouldn't be that crazy. iPhones can do graphics that are not too far off from this, or iPads. But like something about Mario Kart of this caliber on a handheld anywhere is really kind of a mind-blowing thing like I, I first realized this when digital foundry those guys that compare graphics when they were doing you know like the performance of games your gamers like subsite they were doing a comparison for mario kart 8 deluxe i'm like oh of course it's against mario kart 8 let's see how it performs better on switch and then this video starts it's like versus mario kart 7 i'm like wait what oh yeah i guess the closest comparison the last handheld mario kart is 7 and oh my god it's like they they progressed 20 years in two so it's yeah it's it's really cool um so i think the takeaway from all this depending on your stance on the metagame mario kart 
this one's going to really amplify the things you like or dislike. But if you like Mario Kart at any level for any sort of multiplayer, this is the most fully packed Mario Kart there ever was. This is probably the best in terms of feature set Mario Kart there ever was. So if you like it and you like what it's about, this is probably worth double dipping. Like, are you you don't regret double dipping, do you? No, of course not. Right. So if the dude who just spent half an hour talking about how the meta game ruined his life, uh, <laughs> I'm being a little facetious, but you know, if, if you went on that long of a thing about the meta game and you still are recommending it. For those who already bought it once, that's the sign of a good game. That's all I'm going to say on that. And you, know what, you know what's funny about Mario Kart? Is it and Puyo Puyo Tetris, which is the other game we're about to talk about, um, they both have one thing in common. And it's more funny about Puyo Puyo than Mario Kart. Mario Kart, we knew had a ton of content. I did not expect Toyo, uh, Toyo, Puyo Puyo Tetris to be similarly densely packed and have high production values and be this game that has the easiest access to multiplayer you've ever seen. Like, it's a, it, the parallels between these two are actually kind of strong, which is funny. And in uh, Puyo Puyo's case, in Puyo Puyo Tetris's case, um, that content production value kind of surprised me. I mean, and now watch as I transition into my impressions. Uh, I mean, Sega, like, they could have easily just thrown a Puyo Puyo and a Tetris game together and called it a day. Like, they'd be like, hey, look, uh, Angel's playing Puyo Puyo, you're playing Tetris, but you're playing each other buy it for $40. Like, that could have been the game. And that would have been all they needed to do. But they actually went above and beyond and provided a lot of content, and it's actually a really good package. So much like Mario Kart is arguably the best Mario Kart in terms of just content, Puyo Puyo Tetris is a very solid, very densely packed te- uh, puzzle game. So you're game. saying it's better than Tetris DS? I don't know about that, but it's the best I've played since Tetris DS and the best I've played since Medios. Remember Medios? Wasn't Medios a good game? That was a fun no, game. No, that was also a game by Sakurai, right? It was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the reason I'm saying that Puyo Puyo Tetris is so densely packed is like there's a lot of entirely different modes within this cartridge or within this download. They have figured out three different ways you can play these games against each other. You, of course, have a standard versus mode where you play either Tetris or Puyo Puyo, and then uh, you know the more combos you score... The more lines you clear, the more garbage is sent to the other person's screen, regardless of which one they're playing. But what's interesting about this is I found it to be actually surprisingly balanced, given that Tetris, at its core, is a very horizontally oriented game. You're clearing lines, and you're working your way. You know, the board fills up, but you're clearing them horizontally, so it drops back down. Puyo Puyo tends to be All more of a vertical game, I'd argue. Cause well, like yeah, because they want to build up so that they could fall down. Huh? Wait, Tetris or Poyo? Poyo, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Well, not just it, that, but the way they glob together, because you, you, it's a f- connect four or more sort of situation. The way they glob together, obviously, because they're falling down, they glob vertically more than horizontally. So you have a game that's horizontal and a game that's vertical, and somehow the way they the way they work, actually, they fit together somehow. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. And but where things actually get interesting, real interesting, is um, when you start playing them together, opposed to head to head, where each staying on your own respective puzzle. So one way Sega did this is via swap mode, which anyone who's played the demo, so you, um, from the eShop, anyone who's played that demo, you know, you're familiar with swap mode. That That's yeah. what's in the demo. You play Tetris for a certain amount of time, then switch over Puyo Puyo for a certain amount of time, then rotate back and forth until someone loses. And it's fun in kind of a chaotic way in that, like, you need to keep in mind one board strategy, like your Tetris strategy, but then you'll switch to Puyo and you have to immediately be like, oh, right, I was doing this in Puyo. I'm making that combo. Then you switch back and you, you're, it keeps you on your toes. Um, and you have to be able to do it on a dime. But if you all go like one step further than that, there's also this fusion mode, which literally mixes and matches the Tetriminos, which are the Tetris blocks, and the Poyos, which are the Poyo, Poyos. Poyos. <laughs> and you you 
are playing them literally on the same board simultaneously. So what's interesting about this is it kind of, because it has to account for the fact that you have blocks and blobs, it actually takes the jelly-like substance of Poyo into consideration with how you play. Like garbage that appears when you're playing is now in Poyo form. And if you drop a Tetris block on the garbage, that essentially will clear the garbage because it squishes the jelly until it's gone. Like it, it, a block is heavier than jelly, right? So like literally you'll drop a block and it just slowly sinks down and squishes the Poyo garbage specifically and then it's gone which may sound a little unbalanced but the speed and the frequency in which these items drop which the tetriminos drop in which the poyo drop and the ratio between the two makes this actually surprisingly fair like it sounds like it's bro it would be broken but it works pretty well and they also of course do things like you can clear it on a tetrimino line so horizontal you can clear it with a poyo combo just like you could in their respective regular games but you can also do combos that kind of combine the two. Like if you clear one horizontal line, that will cause some poils to fall. Those poils falling will trigger a vertical combo. Or in some cases, the poils, again, because they're jelly, um, will just sink through the Tetris block. You could form combos that way. Like it's, it's, it, it really, you wouldn't think the material of Tetris and Poyo would matter to a mashup of Tetris and Poyo, but they actually took that into consideration, which is kind of funny. And uh, these three variants, so the, the head-to-head with the separate games, the swap and the fusion are kind of the base of everything you do in the game. Every other mode is layered on top of it. So there's like a big bang mode where you're constantly in fever mode and everything's moving really quickly. There's the party mode where they throw in items, almost Mario Kart style actually. So it becomes less about skill, more about luck, as we just discussed about Mario Kart for half an hour. So I personally found that of the three variants, you know, fusion, swap, normal, I think I like swap the most. Classic tech- from the yes. demo I tried, but yeah, but you yeah. only did you didn't get the trifusion. You only did swap. swap yeah. yeah, so classic Tetris or Poyo are good on their own. They're just not as dynamic as swap. Like once you try swap, you can't go back. Fusion is a bit of a head scratcher. Like I like it, I just feel like I'm never doing it particularly well or correctly even. And the game does one nice thing. The game does is they have these video tutorials, little brief tutorials in the options menu for every variation of every puzzle game and how to do combos and everything maybe i just need to stay up on those more but as of now swap is my go-to between the speed of which it does its thing and the fact that's a little more clear cut like fusion is a bit slower because it's you know you have to deal with the block sinking and that sort of thing so it is a little different but yeah swap has been my go-to and with all these different ways to play the thing that really makes us like oh it's a lot of content is the options of how to play there is a lot. If you're playing single player, you can do arcade against the computer. You can do an endurance mode, see how long you can go. You can do a challenge mode where there's special goals or criteria you have to meet. Like will things like, oh, in this puzzle, the poyos are really tiny. In this puzzle, you have to do this or that. So that's kind of from Tetris DS. They, they had something similar in there. Mm. Um, all these different things are then also rolled into a more cohesive adventure mode, which is not only story-driven, but surprisingly fully voice-acted. So there are cutscenes. There are there is a plot line. It's as goofy as you would expect. Essentially, the plot line is that the fine folks of this Poyo Poyo world see Tetrimino blocks falling from the sky, and it's of course happening because there are aliens involved. So naturally, as the Poyo Poyo people, I guess, do, they're like, "Well, there's aliens," so they teleport to their ship. They meet the aliens. The aliens turn out to be nice, and then they all go on adventures together. And it's fully voice acted, and it involves talking blobs, talking bears, talking aliens, which are actually just people like the other people the Poyo Poyo people and um and full voice acting I can't stress that enough everything in this game all the gibberish like Poyo Poyo 
fully voice acted. Or Sega put money into this, and it's actually it's well aware of how silly it is. It totally embraces it with how silly it is, and it kind of it's kind of cool. Like it's it you wouldn't expect you would care or want this, but when it's there, it's actually kind of fun to play. And what's nice about it is um, because of how Adventure Mode structured, it's sort of like a tour de force of all the different game modes. So one time you might be going head to head with the alien guy. The next time you might be doing a challenge. Time after that you might be doing Poyo. Time after that you might be doing Tetris. Maybe a fusion. Maybe a swap. Like it constantly is mixing it up with each puzzle stage you do with these cutscenes sort of stringing it along. And apparently Poyo Poyo has always had cutscenes. Apparently Poyo Poyo's world is like a thing with like these characters are recurring and they just kind of throw you into this one, assuming you know who all these people are. Hmm. I mean, they, they they don't like expect you to be like, oh yeah, that's from Poyo Poyo Two. I remember that moment. But they definitely sort of just drop you in like a puzzle piece i guess but they just sort of drop you in and you kind of roll with it and it, it's honestly it's ridiculous but i i'm glad it's there like it it adds to it in ways you wouldn't expect and of course i the one last thing to touch on there's obviously multiplayer and it and even that is fully featured you have online you have offline support up to four people offline i believe it's only two online that's what i've experienced and if you do online you get to have ranked battles non-ranked battles you can even save replays of your most amazing puzzle moments like much like Mario Kart, again, they have a full replay feature so you can go back and look at those awesome moments you won or maybe learned from a loss. And I don't know how many it saves, but it's a decent number. So, like, again, something you wouldn't expect in a puzzle game, but Sega just went the extra mile. Like, what puzzle game lets you save your replays? I can't think of any. How nice of them. Right? So, so like I said, it's just like this whole game is surprisingly packed with content. So, if you balked at its $30 price when it was first announced, know that you're actually getting your money's worth here. Like, it's a very well-rounded experience like incredibly well-rounded and if you like puzzle games at all this seems like and you want something for your switch that's you know maybe good for short bursts this is the game i feel like this is worth picking up like i said i haven't been hooked on a puzzle game like this since maybe tetris ds media something around there so it's it's, it's very good and you don't get these guaranteed every generation because those are both ds and now we're at Switch, so you know it's been a while since I've had something like this, but I really enjoy it. So I would check it out if you have any interest whatsoever. One thing I didn't expect though from Poyo Poyo Tetris Uh-oh. is that um, it's had me reevaluate my life a, a little, er, or to be more <laughs> to be more specific, my decision to get physical Switch games whenever possible. Oh, man, now that, you that called hilarious. This. You well, I hammed it up, but you called it. So I come over here, I come over to your house and Angel's house. And he's like, hey, let's do a round of Poyo Poyo. And I'm like, oh, sure. And I had Mario Kart in my Switch at the time. So I'm like, yeah, let me just switch cartridges. So it's like I'm sitting there filling with time. I'm like, yep, just popping open the top. Oh, wait, the top's not open. Okay, got the t- got the little lip, the little flap. Okay, okay, taking out the cartridge. Let me get – getting the cartridge out of the, pa- out of the case. Okay, putting the, ca- the cartridge in. Okay, closing it. Meanwhile, he probably could have started his game like eight times in a row at that point. Like it took a good, what, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, which isn't that big of a deal except when it's there – available at all times you know then i went to back to mario kart but then you had to get your cartridge again and then i remember yep. you even struggled opening the little flap that's what i was saying just now yeah like it's we so we've talked about this on the show before that i had this weird obsession with physical games and i've always argued i like my physical games because i like displaying them in a collection on my shelf but what's happening with poyo poyo is that i found in addition to the multiplayer thing here with you i found that i play it in pretty short bursts i'll do you know three or four stages of story mode or a couple on like uh arcade i barely go online because i don't think i'm good enough yet but like a couple arcade matches 15 minutes here a couple stages there whatever then i may go play mario kart next time or something like that and when i want to play poyo again 
I need to again switch the cartridges. And it's what you predicted. It isn't a huge deal by any means, but it suddenly feels weirdly inconvenient in this age of the Switch where half the library is already digital because it's all eShop only stuff like Mr. Shifty or Snipperclips or whatever. Switch it's in the name. Switch your games quickly. Yeah, exactly. And it feels weird. I know, yeah, but it feels, I'm also switching between my games just less quickly. But it feels weird in this era of like a digital library to constantly be doing these little switches for 15 minutes of Poyo Poyo. And now I'm at this weird impasse where I need to decide, do I keep my physical collection mindset or cave for some games? But if I cave for some games, I also have this weird OCD about my library in that my shelf of games will have some of the physical games, but not all of the games that came in physical, and that's weird. So I, I never really thought about this as digital or this digital physical thing so deeply. I was just like, yeah, I like physical, but the Switch's portability, the Switch's ease of use with switching games, it's clean UI, it's fast UI has kind of made me lean more towards maybe I go digital, but then I have the OCD. No, so. That was one of the things that I hated about the 3DS towards the end. Nothing inherently wrong with the 3DS, but actually, no, I should clarify, I hated about myself about the 3DS. Don't hate Be- yourself. Because <laughs> because of that yeah. obsess- obsession to want to have every game physical. Like, up until the Switch, I was saying, like, I had to get every game physical because mm-hmm. even if it was more convenient to have it digital, I want to have it on my shelf. I wanted to have yeah. the physical thing. But as time went on, and especially with the 3DS, because I had played so many multiplayer games at once, I always had to carry the carrying case. I had, like, 10 games in them. And it was just such a pain to, like... This is going to be my issue soon. Yeah, sometimes they would fall out, and then I have to, like, look for them. And it's like, oh, my God, I just want to play Smash Bros. for a little bit. But then, yeah. And then that's why Pokemon Sun was the first game I ever bought digitally. And that was amazing, because then I would be able to just switch with it, play Smash Bros. for a little bit, go to Pokemon Sun. And all this started with Smash Brothers on DS. So he had Smash Brothers, Animal Crossing, Monster Hunter, all these games that you play pretty much, they don't really have an ending. So they're just always perfect to have on your console. Then on the Wii U, every time a single player game would come out, like Bayonetta or Paper Mario Color Splash, that means I would always have to switch out the the Smash Brothers disc every single time because I play Smash Brothers still more often than those games, but I still want to play those games, so it just becomes a real pain at some point. That's why this time I just had to really bite down and just go like, nope, suck it up and do it. And so far, I have no regrets. I have like 20 plus games on my Switch and it's just amazing to switch between them really fast. Breath of the Wild is the only game and every single player game that I'll buy physically because I don't want to waste the memory yep. after I beat the game because then it's just kind of pointless. See, that, that that's where my issue lies is that it's like, well, if I have some of them physical, I should have all of them physical because that's weird. Well, I have see, my incomplete collection. Well, on that's right. I, I, mean, I already have it incomplete because there's eShop only stuff, like I was saying. So I know. Well, that's right. That doesn't mean you have to fight. Like, like, I mean, when I, I mean, I went through that. Yeah. Phase where I'm like, oh, I don't want to. Ha- I don't want to make it look like I have a little bit of Switch games, even though I have a lot. But, but I just have to say, like, you know what? Screw it. Like, that's just that's just one of the downsides. It's just. By the way, but I definition but I of defi- first world problem right here. But I definitely put. <laughs> But I've definitely come to add, put more value on having the games convenient over making it look like I have a bigger shelf. I guess that's something that's just come with time that... And with age, I think. Yeah, as like, I get older. Yeah, like instead of collecting every single Playmates Ninja Turtle toy, I've started going like, nah, I only want to get the high-end, like, $150 Mondo exclusive By Ninja Turtle way, toys. You cannot have time that any better. Yeah, it comes with age. Yeah, I know. I don't buy every Playmate Ninja Turtle toy anymore. <laughs> it's just like, what? That's so perfect. But no, I it, it's a yeah. For those that weren't aware, I, I do point. collect a Ninja Turtle merchandise. But pop. you get like definitely really more than Nintendo stuff now. Yeah. No, yeah, that's why. Like over the last few years, we've only gotten like pretty much the higher end yeah. stuff. Like instead of the ten dollar toy, I'm just like, oh, that looks horrible. I'm just gonna get the sixty dollar Japanese import Leonardo. Yeah. 
that looks amazing. You, you know, the the thing is, I don't think this is just us, and I don't think this is just an age thing. I think this is partly the everything's digital now. Everything's well, I mean, not a physical thing anymore. And I say that because like even developers are picking up on this whole like people are going digital thing, like. Not me, spe- not me specifically. As like they're not like, oh, Jason's not going digital, or Jason is going digital. I mean, like this trend as a whole, because like they obviously want, when possible, to have physical releases for shelf space, right? Because then you get to have your oh, look at box on We probably wouldn't have even yeah. gotten it if they didn't do it on digital yeah, only, because that saves them money. But then if you can, well, it works both sides. Cause, I know, yeah, yeah, because there's that for digital only. But then if you look, look at, at Rhythm like, Heaven, yeah, but if you look at some games from publishers that want to make the most bang for their buck or whatever. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a, it's two sides of the same coin. Basically, you have a situation where developers want to get a game on a shelf, but it costs more to get a game on a shelf. Because it's free promotion just to have yes, it on Yes, exactly, because casuals will go by and see it. So what they're doing is when they don't have enough, when they don't think it's worth their budget to put it on a shelf, they will go digital only, and that's fine. But what's happening with Switch is they are charging more to get it on, or they will be like, we'll raise the MSRP to put it on a shelf. And what I'm seeing happen now is they're realizing people are going to be upset, case in point, the rhyme uh, controversy. People are going to be upset if you put on the shelf, charge more than its counterparts on other systems, and then charge that same higher price because of the physical version on the eShop. So what we're now seeing, and Poyo Poyo is kind of the start of this, Poyo Poyo Tetris, 30 bucks on the eShop, 40 bucks on a shelf. But if you get off the shelf like I did, physical copy, it will come with a little extra thing to make it a little more worth your while besides just the cartridge. They threw in a really neat little Tetris block and Poyo Poyo keychains, like two of them, um, one of each. Rhyme, there's a, we talked about this a while ago. Oh, they're charging forty dollars. Every other version's thirty. Well, they just announced, no, no, no. Eshop version will now be thirty, but if you want to get a physical copy, we understand it's ten dollars more because you know we have to produce the cartridge, we have to make the package, we have to ship it, all that. But to help offset that cost, we will give you a free digital copy of the album of the soundtrack. Normally, an album online, like on iTunes or something, is ten bucks. So that's the price difference right there. And they, you know, it doesn't cost them much to do the album. It doesn't cost Sega much to make keychains. You're seeing Nicholas do something similar with uh, Cave Story Plus coming to Switch in June, where if you get at GameStop, you get a character keychain. Where I think what's going to happen is for these smaller scale games that aren't from Activision, EA, whatever, but from these little guys or limited runs, like I'm pretty sure. Poyo Poyo Tetris will only have one physical run and it's all going to come with keychains because they call it launch edition like on Best Buy's website. Um, for these smaller games, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more knickknacks included with them to con- to justify the fact that they will cost more, which in many cases makes it easy for people. Do I want a knickknack? Do I pay more? No, I don't. No, I don't. And Digital. They're the Binding of Isaac where they're like, yeah, they cost the same, yeah. but you get knickknacks on one. And I believe <laughs> Cave Story actually has that same issue where they're going to cost the same. But for me, just to make this even more about me again, I like little gaming knickknacks, and I like physical, so it actually is making my choice even harder, not easier. At the end of the day, so. you also have to realize that those knickknacks, unless they're from a franchise you deeply care about, are completely oh, yeah. pointless. Yeah. I think what Rhyme's doing with the soundtrack makes more sense. Yeah, than, actually, than yeah, that, that's actually a lot cooler, and that might yeah. actually make me rethink it. But at the same time, it's like, wait, convenience of digital, also, just buy Rhyme the soundtrack for 10 bucks, it's like I paid the same thing. Yeah, also, um, Rhyme is... A single player experience only. Yeah. You like physical for those. So yeah. So. In your pocket. Anyway, I guess the point of all this is I'm having an existential. No, so, yeah. That, so I probably would go physical yeah. for that one. Point of all this is I'm having an existential crisis about physical versus digital, and I feel like I'm one foot too many, or like I took one too many steps into the pond with phys- into the lake here with physical, and I don't know how to backtrack out. How? Oh, but two games. But it's three. two too many. Three too many. But if you like physical things, just know te- uh, Poyo Poyo Tetris comes with that keychain. Well, I mean, in all the current copies on shelves, and but, it's pretty cool. And if you like digital, Actually, yeah, you're right. it's if worth 30 bucks. You already 
Yeah, I mean, the two games that I considered the ones to have the most Spider-Man to have. Foreign. Zelda, Bomberman, Mario Kart, Poyo. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, with I'm the exception of Zelda. I've gone too far. Yeah, those three games, I see absolutely no reason to have one physical. So, you already screwed yourself out. Exactly. Might, yeah, just so, go... now I have to live with this for the rest of the generation. Yeah. So, Which is actually going to be really annoying if, I we, know. if we go somewhere like next year's Comic Con where there's more games out. And then, like, oh, take your Switch. And then, like, oh, you should take these games. Like, oh, I don't even want to carry, like, two games because it's kind of, like... Well, let's back up. My Switch case, I can probably cram about 12 in there. Would you actually take 12? So what I used to do with my DS and 3DS and Game Boy Advance is I would double and triple stuff the cartridge pockets. And I used to, when I would travel, take every single game I owned to every location. Which is why it never bothered me to go to stick with physical until I started having to deal with switching. Or swapping the cartridges. Yeah, but I mean, would you double stack now? I can't really yeah. see you double stacking. Why not? I did on the 3DS. I'll show you my 3DS cartridges sometime. They're double stacked in a case. Ugh. Well, I'm sorry to look pretty, but I gotta <laughs> do what I gotta do if I'm being physical, okay? Okay, that's not that weird. I gotta do what I gotta do if I'm buying physical. Oh, yeah. I know, which I, I, I get like... Yeah. So yeah, so everyone listening... Like I, like I hate my 3DS hotel. It's just like a pocket of just full of games and it's just... Uh... Well, see, no, mine's organized. They're double stacked in slots. No, well, well, well that's why, because I don't have enough stuff for oh, the slots. Sure, like, sure. the slots are all full, but so the back to... Case. Dude, I have like five Game Boy Advance cases because I kept needing more room for more games. Actually, no, I had a baby Game Boy Advance SP back then well, I mean, that started... is now full of games. If you open it, the games just spill out, and you have no idea what's Well, I mean, the games are just in their cases now. Like, yeah. I just had like, all right, I, I still have, I just have, I just have to pick four games to yeah. have with me. Because, I mean, I'm obviously not going to play six at once. Yeah. And it's DS. But with the Wii U, there's so many. I mean, with the Switch, there's so many small indie games I like to play a little bit, like, little by little, like Tumble Seed. Yeah. Like, I'm playing that little by Which little. Which we'll talk about next episode, coincidentally. In between Mario Kart and Zelda and So, blah, I guess, blah, blah. yeah, so the takeaway, the takeaway is if you haven't decided if you're going physical or digital with Poyo Poyo, Tetris. Think about your future. Think about your self worth in if that future. If you already bought Mario physical, then just go physical. Yeah, if you already are, if you're already all another, in on physical, don't another, even get me started. The, I know. Let's turn into another digital no brainer. Arms of the digital no brainer. Mario, well, Mario, Mario Odyssey would I'd probably get physical. Yeah, but, but then you have a half shelf. I don't know. I'm obviously so having what? issues. So At that know, point, it's like more more room for other. Well, I mean, that's the thing too. Like my like my gaming OCD kicks in. Like I'm still collecting movies and stuff, so that's just more room. My gaming OCD, man, I have to account for it. But I guess on this note, on this, on the Jason's having an existential crisis note, we've reached the end of our episode. Seek help. That was (laughs) that was all we got. So you need a revelation. Apparently, I do. Uh, Resident Evil or a Fire Emblem. Was it Fire Emblem Revelations? Fire Emblem Epilogues? No, just a just a real revelation, a non-gaming one. All right, that's what I guess I'll do in the next two two weeks because we'll be back in two weeks' time on May 28th with all our usual game impressions and news, probably including Tumble Seed since you just mentioned you bought it, um, right? I would assume you'll talk about it. Um, Putting you on the spot. Uh, in the no meantime, promises. Okay. In the meantime, though, um, until that episode, you can always stay in the loop with all the site happenings and our future episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, etc. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving us a review on there, too. You're welcome to just turn your review into some sort of intervention with me and my physical game issue. Feel free. Um, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Um, each of us individually on Twitter. I am at JSR7. He is at Wero. I used to be a physical. Go digital. <laughs> yeah, well, well. You need to go to a, like a physical support group. I know. Like a PA, phys- physical anonymous. I used to be physical, but then I, then I my wife left My me. name's Jason, and I was once <laughs> physical. It really sounds like you're saying you used to have like a sex addiction, <laughs> but that's all right. Um, anyway, yeah. I'm on digital. It's all VR. Yeah, I, I, I gave up on physical intimacy, and it's just it's just me and the uh, me and the VR girls. But anyway, um, yeah. I don't know how I pivot from that to this next comp. I'm going to do it anyway. I want to say thank you for listening to us <laughs> because um, the last thought here is – 
this is our 150th episode. We didn't really address it at the top because we were too busy talking about the hit Universal movie franchise, Fast and the Furious. But the fact of the matter is, we are at 150 episodes, which is some sort of milestone that is means it? something. It's halfway I, to 200. I guess it's the third time I mean, we hit 50? Yeah, it's the third time we hit 50. It seems like a mile. It feels like a mile. It's the 150th time we've hit one? That is correct. Or no, the first time we played 150, <laughs> not 150th time. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, so I did want to take a sec to just say thank you for listening. Like, we do appreciate the fact that all you're listening because it helped us get to where we are. You know, whether you've, been, whether you've been listening for multiple years, whether you just discovered us recently because of the Switch ramp up and all the hype around that, or this is a real possibility that I will want to thank it, that I want to thank as well. You could be in your podcast app and accidentally hit the wrong icon, and then this was playing, and you're like, well, I'm here already. Time to listen. So if you're that guy, especially thank you for you because you, you might not even like Nintendo. I don't know what you're doing here, but thanks for listening all the way through to this. What, but whatever reason you're actually – like in all honesty, whatever reason you guys are listening, whether it's any of those or something else, thank you. Thank you for letting us occupy your ears for two hours, a day, uh, two hours every two weeks, and we look forward to continuing to do so. For many more sets of so five weekly podcasts. So you're saying if this was the last episode, you would be happy with the run? Mm, I am proud of what we accomplished by I know there's so much more, including E3 in a couple of weeks and then ConCon after that. We have a lot of stuff. So mm. thank you for listening, everyone. Pretty hopeful. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I like my line about occupying your ears once every two weeks. I don't know why. It sounds weird, but it also sounds great. So I'm just going to leave you on that You say that note. every two weeks? No, I'm saying I like saying thank you for letting us occupy your ears once every two weeks. That's right. You say that every two no, weeks? No, no. I'm saying I appreciate <laughs> You know what? Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.